here it is another episode of the infinite banter podcast i am mark jolf i appreciate everybody's been checking out the show thanks so much monumental episode here this is number 30 when i first started doing this about a year ago you know i struggled just to do one and then i got to five and 10 and 20 and i couldn't believe i got this far i'm at number 30 it's been a great ride and had so many great guests and so many great conversations on here and this has really been fun to do and i'm looking forward to doing even more of these and doing it as long as people want me to do them or as long as I have the energy and the effort to go forward with it. But uh, this one, since I hit number 30, I figured why not do a like a greatest hit, so like a best of. So what I did was I took elements from everybody that's been on here, little bits and pieces, and put them all together to form this episode. So for anybody who's never heard this show before, this would be a good way to start a good intro because you could listen to this and be like, oh, okay, so this is what this guy does. So you hear all little bits of everything I've done up to this point, and, uh, and there's obviously there's a lot more, but these are just little snippets of uh, little interviews I've done, a couple things I've said, so I uh, really appreciate everybody checking out the show, and uh, this is just going to be a fun one, just kick back and relax, it's a celebration for number 30 here of the Infinite Banter Podcast. As always, you can follow the show on Twitter at Infinite Banter, I'm also on Twitter at DJ Soundwave 75 same goes for Instagram, DJ Soundwave75, and Facebook at Infinite Banter. Find the show on all digital platforms, usual places like Apple Podcast, Mixcloud, iTunes, TuneIn app, Pandora, Podchaser. You know, there's just so many. If you're already listening, keep listening to the way you are. But yeah, there's all kinds of places you can find it. Castbox, Podknife is a new one I'm on. So anyway, check out the show. Appreciate it. Spotify, all those places. But let's just get right into it, man. We're going to get into a lot of clips, a lot of best of moments for the show from almost a year now, 30 episodes. And uh, thanks to everybody who uh, came on in the past, and I'll shout you guys all out at the end. As always, regardless if this is a regular show or a best of show, it never, ever begins until you hear the one and only DMC say this. Yo, yo, what's up? This is me, DMC, the K-I-N-G, the greatest MC in history. And right now, you're listening to Infinite Banter, because we will banter on forever, because this is the only place for all of y'all to ever be. I be Infinite Banter. It's probably only fitting that not only did I play that intro of DMC talking, maybe I should give you where that came from, how that first happened. C2E2, a comic convention here in Chicago. I went there, had my phone with me, and I figured, you know what, let me let me see if I can interview somebody for the podcast. And hip-hop fan, and Run DMC's my all-time favorite group and everything, so DMC's there. I've met him a couple times, but this is the first time I had a chance to actually try to bother him and see if he'd give me a couple minutes. And he gave me more than a couple minutes, and he gave me that intro that I will probably play for the rest of this podcast life. So here it is. If you never heard the interview I did with DMC at C2E2 last year, 2019, well, here it is. And if you want to hear that whole episode I did, that's back in episode five. But here's DMC talking to me live at C2E2 for the Infinite Banter Podcast. All right, I'm here with the Infinite Banter Podcast, and I'm standing next to the living legend from Run DMC. Infinite who? Infinite Banter Podcast. Okay, I like I'm that. standing here with DMC, the all-time great. I have to Plus ask Plus the you, most rhymes in New York State. And New Illinois. And in Illinois. <laughs> I have to ask you, how much yes. is the influence comic books for you being with Run DMC and hip-hop and everything? If there wasn't for comic books, there would be no hip-hop. Well, there would be hip-hop, but it would be no hip-hop without Run-DMC. 
comic books gave me the courage and the confidence to exist in this crazy ass world that we live in. Before comic books, there was nothing for me. Then I discovered DC, where Batman and Superman and The Flash and Wonder Woman. And then I discovered Marvel. DC was cool as hell, but Metropolis and Gotham was fictional. Stan Lee was brilliant because he put the superheroes in New York City. So when I opened up Marvel comic books, it was real to me. So that being said, that set me up. A few years after that, hip-hop comes over the bridge from the Bronx. And I'm like, I didn't see it as showbiz. I was like, you can tell stories about who you are over music. So I was sitting there one day, and this is how heavily it influenced me. I was like, okay, Thor is the son of Odin from Asgard. He has a brother named Loki, and he got a hammer. In this universe here, I'm Daryl. I got a father named Bifred, a brother named Alfred, and I got a Mike. So comic books um, inspired me and encouraged me and created the son of Bifred, brother of Al. Banners my mother and runs my pal. It's McDaniels, not McDonald's. These rhymes are Daryl's, those burgers are Ronald's. I ran down my family tree. My mother, my father, my brother, and me. Huh. Huh. <laughs> he got so, that hood in there. <laughs> it gave me a way to tell people who I am and who is right. my family the same way these superheroes and these characters in their comic books tell their stories. And to many of us fans of Run DMC, Run DMC were superheroes. We yes. wanted to dress. I'm wearing Adidas right now. Oh, for sure. I mean, Everybody cosplay as Run DMC. Everybody. Every day, not just on Halloween. <laughs> So that whole influence, all of those elements were there that connected me to the comic books because everybody struggles. You know, the, the heroes and the villains and everybody in those comic books, they have everyday struggles, personal struggles, with the struggle of even trying to take over the world or trying to save the world. So for me, there was always this alter ego thing, yeah. which made me relate to the comic books. And the beautiful thing about comic books Whatever world that I could go into with the comic books was so perfect for me. Right, right. And uh, talk about the comic book you have here. I mean, this is... Uh... Well, yeah, yeah. Three years ago, this this wasn't something I sat and planned to do. Right. It's just like you said, three years ago, I went for a music meeting. And at the music meeting, this young man named Riggs Morales looked at me and he said these words. Yo, DMC, you was like my superhero. The way you looked and the way you sound. And I'll probably never get this chance again. What was it like when you was growing up? And I was like, well, I went to Catholic school my whole life. And all I did was recollect and draw comic books. And when I said comic books, we sat there. And Riggs, by the way, was Eminem's was Eminem one of, one of Eminem's right hand men okay. over at Shady Records right, right. for the rise of that big empire and Riggs says comic books and I go yeah comic books so we didn't even sit there and talk about music okay. for three hours we sat there and talked about comic books and then he said to me yo D you should do a comic book and at first I said, no, I don't want to do a comic book because me and my fellow geeks and nerds, we like respect. I got we you. We want you to be legit. Right. You got to be official. This ain't no joke. You don't come play with our culture. This is our way of life. And then Rick said, yo, D, I understand how to respect that. 
but you could do with a comic book the same thing you've been doing with your music yeah. all these years. And I was like, what you talking about, Riggs? Inspire, educate, motivate, and entertain. And when he said that, I was like, yo, I'm all in. So then he said, you can't use Marvel. You can't use DC. You can't use value. Right. You can't use image. If you was the name of your comic book company, what would you name it? And I sat there, I looked at the initials of my name, and I said, DMC. He was like, what do you mean? Daryl makes comics. And there he was like, is. yo, that's so perfect. And so three years we, three years ago, we started this company. Not, it's not an ego project. Like, with the, with the comic book, I don't even want you to like me. I want you to like the villain. I want you to like the other superheroes. But we did this whole project as a celebration and a tribute to what makes all comic books to all generations right. fun. Right. That's can, the bottom line. And can you draw a little bit? I remember King of Rock. You yeah, said, you I'm, I starting draw. To, I'm starting so to could, doodle. I yeah. mean, Amy Chu, who writes for me, yeah. she's starting to get me to pick up the pen a little bit more. So what I'm doing for, um, we have three issues out now. So what I'm doing for issue number four, I'm doing all the rough sketches and That's the awesome. pre-character designs of everybody. So eventually... I'll probably work my way up to doing an actual cover. Oh, yeah, that's what's going on yep. there. So I'm working my way back with the with the art pencil because I put down the art pencil to pick up the rhyme writing pen. Uh, it's but a transition. The skills a, are still there. It's yeah. a seamless transition exactly. for you, right? Yep. So now I just got to go back the other way. So where can people find your comic book, your new music? Oh, you can find a comic book at all comic book stores everywhere, online or at your favorite comic book store. And the new music will be out shortly. That's another um, another manifestation of DMC. The new DMC album is going to be called... That cover is crazy, yeah, by the way. That's done by Tony Moore, the original oh, Walking Dead yeah. comic book artist. But um, the, new, the new album is going to be called DMC, which stands for Dynamic Musical Collaborations, wow. featuring such iconic artists as Sammy Hager. Mick Marsh from Motley Crue, Sebastian Bach, Dave Navarro, um, 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 Miles Kennedy, Chuck D. Republican. Yes, okay. so it's going to be, put it like this, the new music is king of rock on steroids. Oh, <laughs> Without the testing. So exactly. It's, so it's legal. Exactly. <laughs> well, I appreciate your time, DMC. Thank it's you. a big honor, man. Like I said, I've been listening to Run DMC. Thank you. Hip-hop my whole life. It's my soundtrack. Thank you. If you real quick, you just say, listen to Infinite Banter. This is DMC. All right. Something like that. Yo, yo, what's up? This is me, DMC, the K-I-N-G, the greatest MC in history. And right now, you're listening to Infinite Banter, because we will banter on forever, because this is the only place for all of y'all to ever be. I.B. Infinite Banter. Yeah, yeah, what's up? This your boy, the legendary Cool Rock Ski from the legendary Fat Boys. I'm here on Infinite Banter, and we're going to rock the house. Yes, sir. One of the biggest thrills I had was getting a chance to talk to Cool Rock Ski from the Fat Boys. I mean, I grew up with their music. So much of the 80s is ingrained in me, and when I got a chance to talk to him, I was more than geeked to talk to him, man. It was so much fun. Yeah, really had a great time talking to him. I definitely encourage anybody, if you want to hear the whole episode, what I did with him, that's on episode 25. 
go back and hear the whole interview. There's so much in there. But this snippet here is one that really makes me laugh every time I hear it. We were talking about that scene in Crush Groove where the fat boys were eating at the Sabaro, the all-you-can-eat uh, video, you know, what it went into making that that whole scene. So here's Cool Rock Ski talking to me here on episode 30, the celebration, talking on the Infinite Banter podcast. I have to ask you one more thing about Crush Groove. The scene in Sabaro when you guys are doing the all-you-can-eat and it's like the food was crazy. Did you guys eat? I mean, obviously, there's no way you guys ate as much food that you guys portrayed in the video or in the movie, but what was it like filming that scene? It got to a point where, like, the wallpaper was gone. It was, like, so much right, so much right, food. Right. <laughs> Talk about that one, man. Crush Food, that scene for All You Can Eat, we were on the second um, Fresh Festival tour. Um, it consisted of us, Run DMC, um, Houdini, uh, Flash, and the Furious Five, and Courage Blow. So we went on first that night. We usually would go on right before Run DMC, who would close the show. We went on first that night because we had to catch a jet. We were in Alabama, I think. And we had to catch a, a private jet to New York to, to shoot the last scene of Crush Groove, which was um, the all-you-can-eat scene. So we got there like 5 o'clock that morning. We got, we got to the airport 5 o'clock that morning. We got to the set like 7 o'clock in the morning. That, shot, that, that scene was shot like really early in the morning. So... They had all this food out already because they already had the, the, the steam set up. But the food was cold. It was, like, really cold and was, like, so they were telling us, you guys are going to eat this. We're going to yell cut, and there's a spit bucket right there. So oh, it's, we eat, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So we eat because that food was not, by that time, it was all like the hamburgers was looking like, you know, like something you wouldn't want to eat. So we just bite into, like, oh, this is disgusting, and we just spit it out after that. And, you know, of course, they edit the movie after that. They edit all the stuff that we ate off the walls and all that stuff. So it was fun. It was crazy. It was probably <laughs> the most memorable scene in the movie, you know. Well, every time I see a Sabara, I, I always think of that scene. And I don't believe they have an yeah. all-you-can-eat buffet. So maybe you guys ruined it for the rest of us. So thanks. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, man. Thanks you a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that scene is classic we, for sure, we, man. We paved the way for places like Golden Corral and all these other Oh, places. yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Old country buffet, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, speaking, you, you brought up the Fresh Fest and uh, specifically Curtis Blow. I mean, you guys did a lot of work with Curtis Blow on your first couple albums. Talk about working with him. And I mean, and that Fresh Fest tour, I wish I can go in a time machine and, and go watch that. that. That had to be something to be on stage with those, those crews you just mentioned. Oh, man, yeah, it was so much fun. Um, working with Curtis Blow was a lot of fun. Um, after we did our, we had our first single after we won the rap contest, the rap and dance contest. Our first single was a song called Reality, and it was a take on what Flash and the Furious Five was doing with the message. At that time, everybody was making a kind of a, a conscious message song, so we kind of did that, and, you know, and it flopped. I don't think it sold 2,500 copies. So we had to regroup. So our manager regrouped, um, and he pretty much recruited Curtis Blow to do the album. So we were, you know, we was all hyped up about meeting Curtis Blow first of all. So we got in the studio, and he was already there. And we, make, you know, we'd walk inside the studio, see Curtis Blow. You know, he got Jerry curls and everything, and he's just chilling. And we're like, wow, that's Curtis Blow. So after about ten minutes of just staring at him, you know, it was like, <laughs> okay, guys, it's time to get to work. You know. So um, he was cool, though. I mean, he taught us so much about the business. And his first thing to me and Mark was like, you guys, because we were the rappers, he was like, you guys got it right. You got it right to own stuff because that's money for the rest of your life. 
They say, you got to write. You always got to write. And um, he was the one that had the idea for using Buff to do the Brooks Dickham song, which was the B-side of Fat Boys. And he was like, we got we to gotta have a song where he's the attraction. So what he did was he just said, um, we had some ad-libs. That me, we, me and Mark would rap. We would ad-lib. We would say stuff like, you know, Brooks Dickham, while one of us is rapping. So he said, what's that thing you guys are always saying, like, put up stick them? He's like, well, you know, this is ad-libs. He said, well, start off with that. I'm like, you want to just start off a song saying put up stick them? He says, it's going to be an acapella song with no beats. Buff is going to provide, you know, the music. You know, we did it, and we played. I remember us playing it back for the record company, and they went crazy, you know, and they never heard nothing like that. So when the song came out, People just went berserk. I mean, they played Put Up Sticker more than Fat Boys. And people, you know, break dancing and everybody, every, everywhere we went, they wanted Buff to do the, the beatbox. They didn't believe that was really Buff doing the beatbox. So, um, yeah, that was a huge song. And, you know, that propelled us to get on the tour. With um, At that time, we were just doing shows. So somebody came along and asked our manager if he, if he had any. Because um, our manager, Charlie Stetler, at that time, he had an affili- affiliation with um, Swatch Watch, and he knew the guy personally. He was kind of like, almost like best friends. You guys did a commercial so he, for Swatch too, right? Exactly, right. exactly. And he pretty much told them he can get Swatch Watch um, to sponsor the tour, and he could get Sprite. So they said, hey, if you can get that, you know, we'll let you guys on the tour. Because at the time, they didn't want us on the tour because we didn't have a huge body of work. All we had was the Fat Boys song and the Put Up Stickles up, but they were big enough songs to right. get us on a tour. So he said, well, without Fat Boys, you can't have Swatch Watch you can't have Sprite. So pretty much said, okay, so, you know, we got to get on tour. So we got on the tour with those guys. And, you know, we did shows with Run DMC leading up to that. We did shows him and there. Uh-huh. Um, but to watch them on stage every night and do what they do and to watch Houdini and, you know, Curtis Blow and, you know, we had to bring it just like those guys, you know, like they were bringing it. So, you know, it was competition every night, man. I mean, you know, you had some of the top rap groups at that time and top rappers. So there was, there was just competition every night. I mean, backstage and, in in, 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 you know, in the, um, in the dressing rooms battling out. You know, at the hotel, we were in each other's rooms just rapping, you know, all night. <laughs> so there's always competition. <laughs> You know, we just had so much fun. We just It was just so much chemistry, you know, of us just trying to bring hip-hop to the masses. And it worked out because there was a sellout show every night, you know. And, you know, it just propelled hip-hop to a, a bigger stage, you know, once that tour was so successful. You know, so we had a lot of fun with those guys. And talking about human beatbox, I mean, you know, obviously beatboxing is such a fundamental part of this, especially the early days of hip-hop, you know, like Dougie Fresh and... You know, Biz yeah. Marquee, Rozelle, you know, some of the classics. But you would be Box, obviously, was one of the greats of all time. And my nine-year-old nephew is, like, beatboxing because I guess it's a new thing again. Like, it's kind of coming back. Right. Well, how did you guys right. work on cra- – I mean, you kind of talked about it a little bit, but uh, was that always a focal point? We've got to make sure Buff is on these songs and make sure he's a, a focal point with the beatboxing. And what do you think of it now where it's sort of making a comeback? It's crazy because I just put up a post, like, two weeks ago. Um that I mentioned what you just mentioned when I said that Buff, Rozelle, um, Dougie Fresh, Bismarcky, and a guy by the name of Kenny Muhammad, they pretty much 
they set, they made their own lane in hip hop. I mean, if you think about it, they actually integrated themselves in hip hop. Like there was no beatbox; it was just break, break dancing, DJing, graffiti, you know, rapping. Um, but these guys made their own lane. So, um, I, 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 I see a lot of these competitions now on on I think Instagram. I see a lot of them. And it's crazy that, you know, some of these guys, they're doing stuff that, you know, Buff and Dougie Fresh and Rozelle, they're taking it to a whole nother level. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it, right. it sounds that coming out of these people, like, you're like, you know, these people are human. But, um, you know, it's crazy that, you know, it, it, it's coming back in style and it, it's becoming popular again. Um, and, you know, it, it is definitely a part of hip-hop. So, you know, it, it's a big time, just like DJing. It's a part of hip hop. See, if you if you don't have a DJ, you got to have a beatbox. You got to have something to rap to rap with or rap right. to. So, um, you know, beatboxing is definitely um right up there with everything that's that's in hip hop. Yeah, I had to school my nephew, and he's telling me about beatboxing. I'm like, well, give, give me your phone. Let me show you some YouTube. Let me show you. Let me show you about Buff. He, this is one of the all time greats, and this is how you do it. And, and he's like, oh, I like now he likes the fat boys. So it's awesome to me. I'm in my forties and this dude's only nine and he knows about buff and cool rock and Prince marketing. So man, you got you, legendary stuff still lasts forever, man. It's, it's always going to be there. Yeah. You know, um, you, you, you don't know when you're making these songs back in the day, how much impact they're going to have in the future. Cause at the time you just, you're just having fun. You're working hard to, to, you know, make your place in the music industry. Yo, what up, y'all? This is your friendly neighborhood fly guy, Cool Kim, a.k.a. NY All The Ideal. And I'm chilling with Vanilla Ice's number one fan, DJ Soundwave, on the Infinite Banner Radio Show. Yeah. <laughs> Got a chance to talk to a lot of hip-hop artists and such throughout the time of doing this podcast. One of the most fun interviews I did was with from the UMC's, the one and only Cool Kim, a.k.a. NY Oil. And we just had a blast. I think it was like a two-hour episode. I think it might be my longest episode I've ever done. And, uh, you know, for sure, I'm going to have him back on here without a doubt about it. But uh, here's a little snippet of me and him talking about uh, wrestling. And uh, he gives me a hard time about Vanilla Ice. And uh, if you ever hear the drop that he did for me, where he talks about I'm Vanilla Ice's biggest fan, this is the genesis of that. This is where it all came from. So shout out to Cool Kim. And here it is, uh, a little snippet of me and him talking. And if you want to go back and hear the whole thing, that's on episode 21. But here's Cool Kim on the Infinite Banter Podcast. We got one of them joints, one of the NYO joints. You're going to throw on yeah. in a minute, right? Oh, for sure, man. That hip-hop, you don't stop. And I had to ask you about that song before we play it. You reference yeah. Junkyard Dog, Black Lightning. On this show, I talk about comic books and wrestling as well as hip-hop and other things. <clears> and I'm a wrestling nerd. So when I heard you say JYD, I was like, yes, and Black Lightning, you know, a couple of, couple of all-time references for me. So uh, definitely can't wait to play that song for the people out there so they can know who NY Oil is. I mean, any red-blooded American... Grew up on Ivan Pusky, oh, Junkyard Dog, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Freaking um, Macho Man's my uh, all-time favorite. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Macho Man. <laughs> That's my dude right there. I love Macho Man Randy Savage. He was a rapper, too. He was an MC for a minute. Well, well, he, you know he put an album out. I don't know if he was an MC, but he was definitely Yeah, an nah, it's still, it's still, you got to give him his due. Yeah, because that means that he, he's, he's in the tribe, son. He was a bullpap. He was a bullpap right, head, kid. Okay. I'll, I'll he can't, you know, he, might have been, he might not have been dope, 
And a lot of cats is not dope, but they still in the tribe, though. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'll put it but, like this. Know, I'll play that before I play Vanilla Ice. I'll put it like that. Though. Well, hey, you know what I'm saying? And even Ice, though. Even even even, even Robin it. Van Winkle. Stop it. Stop Rob, it. I got to give him his price. Listen. Listen. You got to see. It's, it's the thing. All right. We got to be cautious how we move. At the time, he was mad whack. At the time, he was the Elvis of hip-hop type of thing. You feel me? Right. But this is still a kid that's influenced. Yo, this is this kid represents middle America, son. Like, think about this. This kid, like, all right, yo, let me tell you this real quick. Man, story. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to make this interview so long. Dude, don't worry about it, man. You're good. But, you know, what it is is that, yo, I remember one time I was talking to some cats down south, man. And dudes was trying to explain they bright with New York. And they was like, son, you know, when the Fresh Fest tours and the Tougher Than Leather tours and all of this was coming out, y'all wasn't making all that money in New York. Y'all was traveling all over the country. We were supporting y'all before we had Rapper the First coming out of there. We were supporting that, too. We was loving y'all, too. So when we came with our music, why y'all ain't love us and let us get sound on y'all radio stations and stuff like that? And that hit me. That was heavy. I was like, yo, that's heavy, kid. <laughs> so when we talk about Vanilla Ice or any of these cats, and they could be whack. You know, like you could be like, yo, see, it's one thing for a cat to be whack. It's another thing for me to hate on him. You know? I got you. I got you. Right. You know, it's like he's whack. You know what I'm saying? He was never a dope MC. And because I'm white, I took it personal. I felt like he was, but he was disrespecting, you know, what I was trying to trying to do. I as, felt as like some was, was but some was representing for all them white kids that yeah. I. It was like Beastie Boys. Then you had young black teenagers. Then you have Vanilla Ice. No, no, you, you know, you had like you know a couple of cats in between there third that base, was little sprinklings. Right, yeah, third yeah. base. You know, and a lot of them cats kind of more try to identify themselves on the black side of things. You know what I'm saying? Yo, Vanilla Ice was, was a white boy, kid. Like, that's what it was straight up today. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, you're you know, right all right, stop. Collaborate and listen. Ugh. You know, like, but son was doing his thing. And, yo, props to have a good time, kid. Like, this music is supposed to be the whole tenets of this thing is peace, unity, love, and having fun. That's what we're supposed to be doing, son. So if Cass could go to Vanilla Ice concert and and Bob and have a good time, then son, have a good time. Son, like, let that dude rock and have fun and do his thing. And whoever could rock to that, you know, they might discover another. They might discover a Tribe Core Quest because they got hit to Vanilla Ice and they got exposed to a whole new world because of son. You know what I mean? Because that was the only thing that was going to be allowed in his house. Or that was the only type of hip-hop that was going to get played on the local radio station. Right. But that opened them up. So, you know, everybody have a a, a a job in the scheme of things. And even though sometimes we don't got the wisdom or the foresight to see how that job manifests. Like, you know, you see gnats in the air. You're like, Yo, get these gnats out of my face. That drive me crazy. But they're part of the ecosystem. And if they was not here, yo, so much things would die because there's so much that we that required that um that survived because they live and you know so many things happen but yo death row records wouldn't be what it is if vanilla high saint oh, was as successful as he was <laughs> you know what the, I'm saying? the whole balcony thing right <laughs> yes and like you know that you know i mean it's an unfortunate thing but yeah that's you know so you know what are you gonna do you know what i mean
Cool, Kim. I'm, you'd make me feel like the Grinch because I had all this hate in my heart for Vanilla Ice all these years, thirty something years, and now you, yeah, you yeah to I'm it. just warming you up to him, like, oh, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, well, maybe wasn't it? Let me go listen to Ice. Let me go watch the movie. Man, Tell, what was it, the, the Vanilla Ice? What's that Vanilla Ice movie at? Uh, <laughs> cool as Ice or something. You know ice. what it's called because you you went and seen it. You went you seen Man, it. You went and seen it. You know what it's called. You know you know what it's called. Delete this. This whole thing's getting deleted now. You you were there. Not only do you know what it's called, you was there opening day. Man, all right. Yeah, instead of the Star Wars poster, I really have cool as ice. Yeah, on the yeah. Wall. The, with, the, with the motorcycle and the whole shit, yo. Ah, uh, uh, so you seen it too? <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> you got the, you've got the Blu-ray and the, and the special uh, director's cut. Hell yeah, dude. And I'm trying to run into it so I can get my, my copy autograph. Yeah, right? Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, let's, 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 let's get this thing back on track. Play the NY yeah. Oil hip-hop. You don't stop. Honey. Yeah, let's Man. do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You listening to Drake Cobbs, man. DJ Soundwave, Infinite Banter, official. Another hip-hop artist I was able to get on the show was Dre Cobbs, bringing that raw Chicago sound, and his album Fountain of Truth is really good. I definitely hope everybody out there goes out there and gets it and listens to it. But uh, he came on the show, and uh, <laughs> he said something that I've always been feeling, but I just didn't realize it until he mentioned it, and it really hit me. I don't play the radio anymore either because a lot of the music is just not good. I'm not into it, and I don't want to hear it. And he really brings that truth home and really spits it to a to a degree that I never really thought of before until I heard him say it. So here's Dre Cobbs. If you want to go back and listen to his episode, it was on uh, number 20 on the 30th episode edition of the Infinite Banter podcast. But you, you definitely went in hard on the mumble rappers, man. I'll let you go ahead and speak on those. Man, I got, I mean, I got nothing really against the mumble rappers. Maybe I do. Maybe <laughs> if I you heard the song, uh, you thought you did. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I get it. It's a new generation, you know. I just feel like uh, the way the elders set up the culture is supposed to be represented the right way. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? I feel you on that. And, and the way they rapping and the way they spitting, I just don't feel like it's representing the culture the right way. I mean, that's just my opinion. That's not everybody's opinion, but it's just my opinion, and that's how I feel about it. I just feel like they should represent the culture the way it was supposed to be represented. None of this mumble mumble shit these dudes doing shit they ain't never done before they doing shit the record labels tell them to do they tattooing shit on their face you know what i'm saying like for what you doing all of that for for money you selling your soul for money basically you know what i'm saying the one thing i don't like about it i grew up around the same era of, of hip-hop you were not really encouraged to sound like the next man and it sounds to me like a lot of the new stuff i can't tell one from the other so they all kind of have yeah, that same yeah. mumble sound. So I don't know who's who because they don't sound like unique to me. So that, that'd be my main beef with it. Besides, I'm just not into it. And another thing is, like, they also, like, they messed, they messed up, like, listening to the radio for me. Because, like, I don't even, I, since, like, they started yeah, this type of music came out, I have not listened to the radio, like, at all. I don't even listen to the radio, period. Like, back in the day, when, when, when I was growing up, you know, you had cats like Pink House, you know, you had a certain type of music on the radio, you know what I'm saying? You were looking forward to hitting that record button on your tape, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I wonder what they're going to play tonight, you know? And now it's just like, dude, 
same shit. They play the same record over, over, over again. This is bullshit. Man, you are not you are not kidding, man. I mean, I grew up on the rap down with Frankie J and Disco Dave, and then man. and then you get the, uh, Ramonsky Love on the on the B side of the show, and yes, sir. yeah, Pink House, like you said, at nine fifty a.m. and uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I used to make all the tapes, and then I would that would make me want man. to go buy the album or the cassette or the CD right. or whatever. And, right. Damn, you know what? I I didn't even realize that. I don't play. I play V103. For those who don't know who are not in the Chicago area, that's kind of like, I guess it's the older man's generation. I mean, I'll play like yeah, yeah, EPMD yeah. and I'll play like Smokey I, Robinson. And, you know, <laughs> Right. And if I do listen to the radio, it, it will be something like that, like V103 or something. Something that I can vibe to. Other than that, uh, I mean, nothing to no radio station nothing like that man i just i'm not into what they playing sometimes you know but what they should be playing is that fountain of truth album i mean stop sleeping go grab that album this is shaz mckenzie and you're listening to the infinite banter podcast here's a triple threat of wrestlers that i would love to see have a triple threat match actually but here's uh, three snippets from three different female wrestlers i've had on the show first we'll play shaz mckenzie then roxy and then zeta zang uh, all three were great. Loved having them on, and it was an honor to talk to all three of them. Shaza talks about how she came up with her finisher and what it was like wrestling at Shimmer, which is a show that's here in the Chicago area and along with other cities as well. Roxy talks about taking the Greyhound bus. Last but not least, Zeta Zang talking about working at the May Young Classic and what it was like with NXT and things like that. So check out all three of these. Really appreciate them coming on. And you're listening to the Infinite Banter Best Of episode 30 if you want to hear that shaza interview in full that's episode 9 zeta zang was episode 13 and roxy was episode 23 here they are shaza roxy and then zeta zang in that order on the infinite banter podcast i just want to bring up a couple of matches you had a match against thunder rosa which i saw on that sunday yes and uh super shastastic stunner how did that move come about how did you come up with that move um so well i Normally, I like I started doing the just the regular shastastic stunner, just in the middle of the ring, um, jumping and in, into the splits. And I don't I don't really remember how that sort of came about. I think I was like I knew I could do the splits, and at the time, it wasn't there was there was there's a lot more girls now that can do the splits. But at the time when I first started wrestling and back you know seven eight years ago, there wasn't as many girls that were able to do the splits so it was something that I knew that I had unique that I should uh showcase so I started doing just the regular um shastastic stunner in the middle of the ring and I don't know what, what like I just think one day I was like I was up there and we we're fighting like we we're figuring out something and I was like oh yeah I guess I could <laughs> I could just jump into the splits from here like didn't practice it because I was like well if I'm gonna pull all my muscles in my legs and be debilitated. I'd rather do that in <laughs> front of the crowd. Uh, was, but, but then it worked out fine. So right. we were all good. And um, it took a while. It was, it, I used to very, very rarely bring it out, but now it's become kind of a thing that people want to see. See, we so, all are expecting it now. All the fans are looking for that moment when you pull that one out. Yeah. So now, now I have to do it a bit more. And so now my hips don't like me as much, but that's all right. <laughs> I think Biggie from the New Day is trying to copy you too because he was doing the splits a couple weeks in a row. But now he's hurt. Yeah. So that goes to show you. But now he's hurt because he did too many splits. See? There's only one person who could pull it off. Stop trying exactly. to copy. 
<laughs> are there any moves that uh, obviously are not yours that you've always been a fan of? Like, oh, I wish I came up with that move on my own. Or I would like to use that move, but somebody else uses it. Is there, is there any moves that you're uh, when you're some of your favorites? Even going back, I mean, if there's anything, some like a finisher super move, athletic. Yeah, like I I wish I could do anything that was super athletic. Okay, <laughs> when people are doing like the spiral moon salts and stuff. I'm like, that's real cool. I can't do that, but that's real cool. <laughs> like, everything like that, I wish that I came up with and could physically do, but I can't. So, <laughs> see, you I figured mean, out I, what I've works. I've tried, but I don't, right. wa- I don't want to try because I don't want to land on my head and be debilitated. No, no, no. We don't want to see that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also on that Shimmer uh, event, uh, Nicole Savoy she beat Allison K, and then they brought you out yeah. to say that you would fight in the in the championship match in the next Shimmer. Uh, talk about that match. That match was such a great closing match for the uh, the Volume One Twelve. It was such a great match. What was that match like? And that moment being brought out too. That was really really important to me because um, I've been with Shimmer since two thousand and twelve, so seven years. There was like a few tapings that I missed. Back in 2014, I missed three tapings, I think. But pretty much other than that, I've been there every taping for seven years. So a long time. And when I first started, I was in, like, the opening match, the opening two matches. Like, you know, not – I don't think anyone, and myself included, thought that I was ever going to go through the ranks of the Shimmer roster and get to the main event. Um, and then in about, I think it was like 2016, I had like my first main event with, um, at Shimmer, which was a tag team match was me and Kelly Skater versus Shayna Baszler and, um, Mercedes Martinez. Um, and then since then I've had a couple of tag team main event matches, but that was my first singles main event at Shimmer. So, and that was something I never really thought I would ever get like a shot at the shimmer championship so it was really cool to do it and it's it's really hard being the last match of the weekend because there's so much wrestling and there's so many matches and everyone's seen so many different things um so to be able to keep a crowd engaged after they've seen literally like 20 hours of wrestling (laughs) in the past two days it's like that's a hard job and a tough position to be in so to be able to get the crowd behind us and uh, into the match and be able to feed off that emotion, everything was really cool. And it made us forget about how exhausted we were as well. <laughs> yeah, that match, I mean, you guys definitely pulled it off. I mean, it was a great finisher to an already exciting and awesome weekend. So uh, big up to you two. You, you both had a great match. And that was really really making me want to come back and see Shimmer again because, I, like I said, I had never been there before. And, awesome. And I see that November 2nd and 3rd, Shimmer is coming back to Berwyn. I don't know if you'll be part of that show, but if you are, I'll definitely uh, be excited to see you and everybody else who's part of it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely be there unless something drastic changes in the world. But <laughs> Shimmer's <laughs> my home, my home away from home. So I, I, I'll be there. <laughs> this is Roxy, and you're listening to Infinite Dancer. I was watching the match you had. It was a six-pack match with you and AQA and Alex Gracia, Hayan, the, the championship match. And the announcer had said that you had taken a Greyhound to get there. That was your dedication. So that was pretty funny. To... <laughs> I'm assuming that yeah. was true, right? That's what you're talking about right now. <laughs> yeah, so since I am pretty young, I can't really drive 
out of town by myself. <laughs> so oh, I do have to be taking greyhounds when I don't have other people to ride along with from Laredo. So yeah, I do every every now and then I do have to be taking greyhounds to Houston. I think every I do for the most part every month I at least take one greyhound because we have that monthly show for ROW and so yeah, I usually take a greyhound too and back, which is pretty. Uh, in the, those greyhounds are usually about seven, eight hours, and in a car, it's only six hours. So I think one time I was actually in a greyhound for eleven hours driving to Houston, just because of like yuck. All, <laughs> yeah, all the stuff that was going on with the greyhound with the, with my bus uh, specifically, and it was. Uh, it was the worst. I mean, I've taken Megabus before. I don't know if you're familiar with Megabus. I don't even know if they're still yeah, around. It's like a dollar to go to like, you know, a city in the next state or something. But I've never physically taken a Greyhound. I can't imagine that it's the best experience. But I'm sure every every ride is different. I'm sure there's sometimes it's not that bad. But uh, I can't <laughs> I can't even imagine what it's like to be on a on a long bus ride like that. You probably get bored or try to sleep or something. Oh, yeah. I always try to sleep, but, uh, you know, there's always different types of smells on those buses. Oh, <laughs> Play guess the smell. What's, what is that? Right. <laughs> Where not to sit. So speaking of that match I just referenced, uh, that was a fun match to watch where all six of you were going at it, and Grassi ended up winning the title. Uh, talk about that match and what it was like working with those five. That match was, that, that, that was actually one of my favorite matches to this day. I love what, all those girls are just so good and so talented. It was just really special to be able to share the ring with all five of them at the same time. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I had wrestled each of them uh, in singles matches. Just for all of us to be in the ring at the same time, was it was, it was just so fun. Hey, this is Ada Zang, and you're listening to Infinite Banter Podcast. You're in the May Young Classic, and you went up against uh, Shayna Baszler. Yes. So it was a really great match. Um, they couldn't have set it up any better because we both have similar backgrounds. You know, we both come from jiu-jitsu and amateur wrestling and MMA, and it was just good storytelling, like straight to the point. You know, got some back and forth in the beginning. So it was really nice working with her. She's a vet, you know, been doing it longer than I have and gotten to work with some great people in Japan and different places in the U.S. So it was really nice having her as first, like, real match, I guess, TV match, right. real match. I, I don't know what it... I, I think I had two little house shows preparing, like, right before that. So that was really, like, my third match ever. So it was very different, Um and it was just nice to be able to have her as, you know, my first TV match. It was such a great experience to be a part of history. So I felt like, man, that's that's just such an honor because it's this that was the first May Young Classic, and everything after that will not ever be first. So just being a part of that was such an honor. I, I had no idea it was going to be what it was because when I first got there to WWE, I was still very new to the pro wrestling scene and I didn't really know much of anything and when they told me hey you're gonna be a Mayan Classic tournament I was oh, okay cool 
I, and they didn't explain anything about it. It was their first year. They didn't say anything. I was just like, okay, cool. And then they didn't mention it oh. for a while. Yeah, just and then I had actually like forgotten about it. And then all of a sudden, it came up again because they would tell you something, and then you know WWE they're so busy with all stores and stuff, so they just told us this. And then I think it was. I don't know, I think it was like a month and a half, two months or something later, they came over to us and was like, okay, we got to start preparing for the Mayan Classic Tournament. And then all of a sudden, you're rushing everything in four days. You're cramming everything in in four days. And then everything was like a blur to me. All of a sudden, we had like photo shoots, promo shoots, like everything all crammed together. And then we went over the match the day before. And then all of a sudden... I remember coming out to the stage and the music comes on. I was just like, all right, here it goes. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it was over. Like it was so fast that I didn't even get to enjoy it. Like the minute I started enjoying the moment, like it was over. Oh, <laughs> so I was like, crap. <laughs> yeah. It, it, was so fun. it was so fun from what I can remember of it. <laughs> but it was literally too fast. When you watch the match, does it come back to you a little bit, or is it still kind of a blur? It's a blur. Oh, okay. I, yeah, it's a Like, I watch it, and I'm like, oh, I did that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. Like, oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah, I kind of remember that, but I don't remember. I remember it as a third point of view because I had just watched it. But I don't re- really remember it from first point of view when I was doing it. You know, it's strange. Is that a reflection on your whole NXT experience? Was Did it always feel like things are kind of rushed and you were kind of doing things before you really were able to, I don't know, kind of get your feet underneath you? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Definitely. It was a lot of stuff. I mean, they're, they're always so busy with everything. And then it's like I kind of just got thrown in because I was the – only other Asian girl like that was going to represent you know they were trying to get in China at the time and then my roommate Zai Li she was injured at first oh. so I started uh, live shows and stuff like that I started with two and then by the, then we went in to do the Mae Young Classic she was actually she was actually still injured during the Mae Young Classic but she really wanted to do it so she did it anyways and then got her uh, got her surgery after. So it was just, you know, the timing of everything and also being so new to pro wrestling in general and trying to figure everything out while I'm trying to figure out wrestling. I'm trying to figure out WWE. I'm trying to figure out the culture and the etiquette and everything that's involved with a pro wrestling culture. And on top of that, trying to figure out my wrestling side right. and trying to figure out the, uh, all the people for, from China. Cause I had to, I had, had to help like take care of them and translate for them and basically settle them into life in America. So, uh, my schedule was insanely busy. It was not only wrestling also to deal with everything outside of work no wonder it was a blur it just seems like it's kind of like a sink or swim mentality like get out there you know figure it out and then on the job training almost yeah it it really was it really was a lot of times i had no idea what was 
anything and you just kind of go in and do it and hope for the best, you know? Right. Well, I'm sure the indie scene is also working really well for you too, because now you could actually start to hone some of those skills and talents that you have and, and, uh, excel at that. Yes. Like I've learned so much from being out in the indie scene because there's no one to tell you anything. It's really just up to you. Like if you don't know something, you better figure it out. There's right. no one there to hold hand. There's no one there to tell you to do something. It's like a lot of times when you're in that mentality, you're there to listen and shut up. It's always like that <laughs> mentality where you just shut up and listen. So the whole time it's like you just shut up and listen. They tell you to do something, you do it. Like there is no question of why or what. So you just do it not ever really knowing why. Um, and so in the indie scene, because it's, all on your own, when you do something, you have to know the why, why you're doing it. And so you better figure it out. Like, right. <laughs> if you haven't figured it out, you better figure it out. Yeah. You know? and so it forces you to learn a lot faster. Honestly, like, part of me really wish I had started out in the Indies first uh-huh. before going into B because then I would have been more mentally prepared. But, I, you know, I'm still very thankful that I got to go there first you know, and then go out to the Indies because I've learned things within WWE that other people out in the Indies don't know. So, I mean, it's a, it's a trade-off. Right. They both pros and cons. And you've worked with, you know, a lot of people who are currently in WWE, Lacey Evans, uh, Ruby Riot, Mandy Rose, Sonya Deville. Yep. Yeah. A lot of people have been very lucky. I've gotten to work with them and they're all great at what they do. Hi, this is Mark Carrier and you're listening to Infinite Banter was really honored to have former Bear safety and NFL safety Mark Carrier come on. And uh, this part here actually is not about football. We talked about hip-hop music, specifically West Coast, Snoop Dogg, Warren G, and stuff like that. He's from that area, and he's a big fan of that, that genre. So I wanted to you know play this part because I think it really shows you that a lot of these guys who play football or sports or in movies and things, like they're just as much of a music fan as we are, and it really uh, shines through here when he talks about his knowing Warren G in that whole era. Really cool to hear him talk about that that West Coast sound and how it was like back then when he was still in college at USC and before he became in uh, Chicago Bear with the NFL. So here's a little part from the Mark Carey interview I did. If you want to hear the whole thing, that's on episode 18. There's only one number one, and it's Long Beach Poly. <laughs> there it is, the LBC. <laughs> yep, the LBC. That's why I said I'm, a, I'm original LBC. Yeah. Speaking of Snoop, so do you have a favorite song of his? Wow. Oh, I mean, there's a lot to choose from, of course, but... Yeah, there's one I like. My wife won't like me saying that. Uh-oh. I won't say that one, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I think but I have an idea which one it is. Yeah, <laughs> For some reason, I, mean, I think I know. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, it, I mean, it starts with the first one, the G thing. That's about a G thing. Yeah. That's, that was the one that put it on a map, and, and for good reasons. It's funny, when I watched that video, I know some of, some of those guys, you know, one, I know where they're filming in that, too, knowing some of the guys in the video in the background that I went to school with. Yeah, that one, Gin and Juice, Deep Cover is another one that I always think of when I think oh, yeah. of Snoop. Deep Cover is one of the original one. Yeah, that's the first one. That, that's kind of his first one that put him, put him on the spotlight. And then when his album came out in, like, 93, I guess was, that was the one that put him, took him to another level, stratosphere level. That had to be pretty cool because you're out on the West Coast, and that's when 
the whole G-Funk era really kind of blew up. And you had Warren G and obviously Dr. Dre and NWA before that, King T, right. you know, stuff like Gangster, that. Yeah, when Gangster Rap took over, I was at USC in the late 80s when Gangster Rap started, uh, I was a big, 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 still am a big NWA fan. Uh, I love Ice Cube as well as Snoop Dogg. But that was kind of when the SC, you know, it used to be an East, an East and West Coast thing for in the mid to early 90s with Death Row and Bad Boy Records. And then uh, eventually with all those hideous deaths and things came about, everybody finally got rid of that. And now it's just music became more national and and so it was much more uh, worldwide than one side of the coast. East, you know, one coast, west coast. So that's that's one of the positive where it's more love, respected around, uh, and it's, instead of stupid, non, the stupid violence in East Coast, West Coast. Even though there's still some rivals, fun rivalry, but now that back then it was a little more heated rivalry. Yeah, and I'm in Chicago, and it was kind of like we were in the middle. You know, you had Biggie on the East Coast and Tupac on the West and all that other stuff, and we kind of felt like neutral. We didn't really have a side, but it was kind of uh, awkward being in the middle of all that, and you're just, you just wanted it to kind of end and just get back to making good music, and unfortunately, we lost two people uh, because of that yeah, nonsense. Yeah, that, 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 unfortunately, yeah, those guys had to sacrifice for us to realize how, you know, how stupid it was, and I'm, a, you know, like I said, Snoop is a few years younger than me, and I've been fortunate. They were just in. I'm really close with this Warren G. I don't know if you heard of Warren G. Yeah, I saw Warren him. He G. did a concert here about a year ago. I mean, it was just taking me back hearing him do, you know, Regulators, of he course, was, uh, and this DJ and everything. Yeah, yeah, I'm very, I'm real close to him. Matter of fact, his son's playing corner at USC, and I, matter of fact, they were at the state fair. I get a text Friday afternoon. Hey, Mark. We're in Springfield for State Fair. Let us know if you want to come. I'm like, dude, that's like four hours away from here. I can't <laughs> get there. Even if I wanted to get there, unless you sit in a helicopter, it ain't happening. But I appreciate the offer. Uh, yeah, so they're, Warren and I, we speak probably a couple times a month. You know, I check, want to check on see how his son's doing and see how he's doing. And when I'm around, when I know they're coming in town, him or one of those guys, they'll put a call or like that and say, hey, we're coming in town. You want to come? And, I'll say yay or nay. So it's, I finally got my daughter, my son, and my wife involved. Now all of us at different times have got a chance to go see them perform, and they've all been great to me and my family. Long Beach, the family, everybody else. So we we all get to enjoy that. They get to enjoy that. My For years, my kids were like, yeah, right, Dad. Yeah, right. Yeah, sure you do. I'm like, I'm serious. I know these guys. I really do. And... They kept missing out on going on concerts. So finally, over the last few years, they've all finally. My son's gone a couple of times. My daughter kept missing because of college. And now she's, this past summer, she finally got a chance to go and take a picture with Uncle Snoop. So it's like, all right, everybody's done. Everybody's gone through. I like that Uncle Snoop. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, Uncle Snoop. That's everybody. Everybody knows Uncle Snoop. I'll say this about Warren G. He's, he's very underrated as a producer. I mean, he's produced so many songs that people probably don't realize. I mean, stuff for Tupac no, and yeah, a lot of West Coast artists. Well, yeah, he's part of that yeah, behind-the-scenes group that really, you know, he's a little DJ on the side and, and has done some, yeah, he's been part of some of the songs, some of the bigger hits from the uh, the West Coast rap. He's, he's had his hand in helping to produce some of those. Yo, it's Confucius. Rams is Ali. And we the bar guys. And right now we tune into Infinite Banter. DJ Soundwave, Shada and Jay. Let's go. It was really cool talking to two of my guys from New Jersey, Confucius and Ramsey Ali, who represent the bar gods, a hip-hop faction from New Jersey. 
two of the coolest dudes I've ever got a chance to talk to. And they both came on here in separate episodes. Confucius was on episode 10. Ramsey's Ali was on episode 19. And hopefully down the line here in the future, I'll have them both on maybe at the same time. But here's a clip from each one of them. First, Confucius about nobody sounds like him and how his style is so unique. And then Ramsey's Ali talking about having so much material. And he references Confucius about, you know, what he thinks about having so much material to put out there. So really good stuff here. Check out these two dudes. This is the Infinite Banter Podcast, episode 30, best of edition. Bar gods. See, there's so much out there. And I was I was talking to you before you came on. A lot of hip-hop fans, like, you know, I, we're from the era where, you know, you would turn on the radio and you would hear, like, Rakim easily. Or, you know, Yo! Yeah. TV Raps or Rap City or, you know, Video Box, whatever. And now, if you are a hip-hop fan, a lot of them are, like, whining, like, ah, it's, all, it's dead. There's nothing out there. It's all mumble rap. Yeah. But if you're a lazy yeah. hip-hop fan, you're going to think that it is true. That there's nothing yeah. out there. But if you work and look for it and... When people tell you, yeah, peep this and, you know, just don't like it and not go listen to the song, there's plenty yeah. of music out there for true hip-hop heads out there. Yes, it is. And, and I'm glad you said that because, like we were talking earlier, um, shout out to um, my little brother, Maple Hoodie, the bully. He be rapping, too. And um, that's one thing that he told me. He was like, yo, Fuse, hip-hop ain't dead, man. He said, you just got to look for it. And that's all it is, man. You just got to look for it. It's out there. It's people out there still doing real hip-hop. And if I mean, anything, just, it's more accessible. Yeah, you can find it because it, it's with social media and the internet. Yeah. It's not like yeah, you have to, why do I have to turn on my radio to hear it? I could hear it anytime I want to. I could play your joint as soon as I hang up this phone and just and be done with that. I don't have to wait for, you know, uh, Chris Thomas, the mayor of Rhapsody, to play it. I can yeah. <laughs> go to YouTube. You're right, man. Look, if you're waiting around for them to play it, it might not ever happen, man. So you kind of got to just do your own due diligence and your own research, and it's there, man. Hip-hop is alive, man. Exactly, exactly. Who were some of your influences growing up? Was there anybody that you heard? You're like, man, I, I, I can do that, too, you know? Oh, man, um, I like Scarface, man. man. I like Scarface. He's one of the OGs for me. Um, you know, I love Nas, um, Kooji Rap, definitely. Um, you know, Rakim, KRS-One. I mean, you know, all of, all of the greats. It's a lot of MCs that I'm really feeling, too. Like, right now, you know, I'm messing with... um. I'm messing with Benny the Butcher. Oh, Griselda, yeah, yeah all, those guys. All the way fire, Conway, um, West. You know them. Them brothers make me feel like, uh, like damn, like they they damn near doing what we doing. Like you know what I mean? Right. So yeah, they're representing that, Buffalo, you know, and you guys are New Jersey. It's kind of like yeah. yeah. You know, um, Nas. You know, like to this day, nobody could ever tell me Nas is corny. Now, I don't care if Nas put out a corny album or put out <laughs> corny rap. He can never be corny because of what he already did. I argue with myself about this because I'm such a hip hop nerd. You know, it's always Rakim, KRS, Kane. Those will be my top three right. always. But then the the older I get, the more I'm like, Nas is kind of the best of all time. I don't know. I mean, he's like. <laughs> Dude's material is like his, his his catalog is so deep. Yo, he said he said the bullet goes back in the gun. The bullet holes closed and the nigga chest. Now he's back to square one. Screaming, shoot, don't, please. Ooh, <laughs> yo, he's the whole song in reverse. Are you kidding me? Who, whoever did that? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody has never done that. So for me, it's like, unless you could do that, then maybe I'll put you on a higher level. Right. Not, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> It's a rap. I'm not an MC, but if I heard that, I'd put the pen down and I'd have to go rethink about my options. And like maybe I have to go and do something else. <laughs> UPS is hiring. I go work there. No, and you know it's crazy that you say that because sometimes, man, you hear a fresh MC and they say something, and then you be like, oh, especially me, like as a fan and an MC, I'll be like, oh shit, 
I got to put a little more thought into my shit. Like, you know what I'm right, saying? Right, like, right. Even though I put a lot of thought already, but it just, it makes you want to strive for more. You'd be like, oh, shit, he just said that. All right, now I got to say something like this. Yeah, not only that, from New Jersey, you almost feel like you're repping a whole state. It's like on your back, and you have to on, make yeah. sure that they all know that I'm bringing New Jersey with me, and, you know, New York is where no everybody's doubt. talking, but I feel like the pressure of New Jersey, I got to make this heat. I can't just come out with some whack shit right here. Yo, you know what's crazy? Like, coming up, sometimes I, you, I used to look at it the other way, like it was a crutch, like, like damn, you know, Fresh, fresh raps and dope lyrics ain't in the mainstream no more. You know, it makes you look like, damn, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. But then I, I changed my whole view on how I see it now. Now I see it the opposite. I see it as that's the best thing that could have ever happened to me because now I'm a little more rare than before. <laughs> so it's like, you know what? Now I look at it like, you know what? I'm glad that it's not mainstream because I'm going to be a little more different than anything else that you're hearing. And people are probably going to appreciate that more. And that's what's happening. Right. And that's and that's really what a lot of us fans are looking for. Because I turn on the radio, I feel like it all sounds like the same thing. Everybody's got the same flow, same kind of style. And yeah. something like what you're talking about, it's going to catch somebody's ear. And I'm like, okay, now I need more. I, I'm fiending for that next Confucius uh, verse, that song, you know that album. I said? I said it on Clone Wars. I said, um, open your ears What I'm spitting is true. Hear their music and have no clue who I'm listening to. And, and that's what boys down. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, they all sound the same to me. That's all I'm saying. No Man. disrespect to them. No, 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 not know. at all. I, I just don't know who I'm listening to. I'll be like, yeah, I don't, who this again? Right. And sometimes I think, is it because I'm old or I just, I just, uh, my ear just changed and I just don't understand what I'm listening to anymore. I can't decipher no, the differences. No, no, no. It ain't that, man. It's that sometimes we really don't know who we listen to. I, right. Like, they sound alike. Like back in the day, it's like like right now. Like people could hear could hear me rap, and they'd be like, "Yo, you know what? He sound like Confucius." They're not gonna say I sound like anyone else because I've never really crafted myself to be like anyone else. I don't even know who you they know would say. You don't sound like anybody, man. That's that's why it's like that first time I heard that joint. I'm like, "Yo, who's this dude? Who's this? Who's this Fuse guy? Seventy eight. <laughs> who who did you talk to? On who's this dude? All right, all right. I need to hear some more from this guy, man. I'm gonna be honest with you. I've I've never got a comparison. Like no one has ever said, you know what, Fuse, you sound like. I just never got it from anybody. Yeah, you know I couldn't. Saying? I would never even. It never even crossed my mind to like think who who you're like because you're not. There is nobody. No doubt. I no. appreciate that for real, man. Yeah, man. Shit, man. New Jersey in the building. NJ all day, man. <laughs> Confucius is gonna laugh. What I'm gonna say because what, what, what we always say. You listening, Fuse? Yeah, this is the this is the analogy that we always say. We say the buffet. You say you go to a buffet, right? They give you all these plates on the side. Man, he Why like would you go up there? And get ten plates. You ain't even finished on what was on one. Right. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> and the food's not that good. You're going. You're eating ten plates, but you're just eating ten plates because you can't eat ten plates. No, I feel you on that. <laughs> and, that and that's the that's the analogy that Fuse use every time we say, "Look, man, people ain't even finished their first plate, and they up there again, two more plates, three more plates." Like you know, that's the analogy we use, and we stick to that. You know what I mean? We the thing is, especially with these bars, we saying we actually live off of our bars. Dice to say something. And then now we living off that for a year. Confucius say something, we living off that for a year. I say something, we, we learn from each other through the bars, and we figured maybe the people could too. You know what I mean? Maybe they hear you hear something, and you're walking down the street, and that thought pops in your head because we said something about that. You know, something that can probably help you get through life, not, not really just an entertainment purpose. You know what I mean? You know, try to give a little wisdom in there, a little, you know. Yeah, the buffet rap only works for the fat boys. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> shout out yeah, to the fat boys. <laughs> definitely shout out, uh, man. I, I still listen to Forty Three Serious Forty Three. LL got it now. Oh man, he's killing it. Uh, yes, yes. And you know what? I had to actually stop listening to it. when I'm in production. I had to stop listening to that station because I'll be in a car with a pen and a pad, writing down all the samples I want to take, and it's just unfair. Yeah, it's, it's unfair. They say, "Oh, you playing this for me? I can take this. I can take that." You know what I mean? And respect. You know what I mean? We take everything right. in respect. Like when you listen to, like if I listen to like that's one thing I know. I don't. It's, it's going to be hard to sample this this new music going forward. Anybody kidding? I don't think people are going to be able to sample these new guys because. I don't think it's even in a format. And it's all mumbled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not even in a format for us to sample. You know what I mean? I can't get nothing from it. I can't use, reuse you and put you back in the music. You know what I mean? It's harder. It's, it's a little harder. Yeah, I got to give credit to Rock the Bells, too. I took a road trip to Atlanta last year. That's a long drive. Man, I mean, just like hearing Mantronics and, you know, Stetsasonic songs coming back. I mean, you don't hear that stuff anywhere anymore. So being an old man, I love hearing that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and one uh, another one of our driving factors is about about ten years ago, when when things start changing a lot, it, a lot of people that I came up with they got discouraged. It discouraged a lot of rappers that was doing real rap stopped because they oh this ain't even popping no more. They probably listening to their friends telling them this ain't popping. You need to do this now. You need to sing on auto tune. But what we realized was everybody you just said is still booked. <laughs> right. They still book Stethosonic. They still yep. booking Mantronics. So why are we stopping this music? Exactly. These guys are still getting booked. You know what I mean? Like that lets you know that people still want to hear that. You know what I mean? There's an so audience out there, man. Yeah, yes. they're out there. Yes, definitely is an audience. So that was that's we we know that too. So you know we go real hard on social media and we are finding our audience. You know what I mean? Somebody could be like, "No, nah, I don't like that." You know, I'm part of this new wave. No problem. Like I'm on to the next person. Oh, somebody. Oh, you you remind me of. Big Daddy Kane or somebody. That's cool. I had a young boy saying, you, you up here sound like Chuck D. I said, wow. Really? It was, he said it being funny, but he didn't know he was kind of complimenting me. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, it, you know I mean? he didn't call you Vanilla Ice or, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Candyman or something. I'm trying to think of some, some whack dudes from back in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, we, we, we try to, like I said, we try to stay in our own lane. You know, if we do um, a project like that, you know, I don't, I don't. I don't really see us doing a project that's that's trying to that would try to make us stay in the forefront. You know what I mean? Because uh, that's not who we are. And you know, you see, if you see us on a screen, you'd be like, "What are these guys doing?" You know what I mean? I, their whole career, I don't watch them bar everybody to death. Now they want to sing on auto tune. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's <laughs> so a different. We, we try to yeah, we try to stay away from that. You know what I mean? Like, like unless it's a feature, that's somebody else's song. You want me on it? I got to do it. Then I'm, I'm gonna do it. You know what I mean? But as far as our catalog, we, we just bar guys. You know what I mean? What up, what up, everybody listening? This is SB, the Shottown MC, and I'm here chilling with my man MJ on Infinite Banter, where we banter on and on and on. But it's always love. It's always that food for the soul, y'all. Peace. You're listening to the episode 30 best of edition of the Infinite Banter podcast. And uh, this is a really fun episode I did, episode 15. So about halfway in this whole journey here, I got a chance to talk to SB, someone I've known a long time. He's done some great hip-hop music, especially in the Chicago local scene. SB came on with me. We chopped it up for about two hours. And here's a portion of him talking about Bushwick Bill, who had recently had passed at the time. And he was very influential in getting SB started in his music career. SB talking about Bushwick Bill exclusively here on the Infinite Banter podcast. Speaking right. of when you got into hip hop, uh, we we did, we lost Bushwick Bill 
you know, about four or five Man. weeks ago. And I know yeah, you have yeah, a story bro. about when he was influential on your career and you getting in the hip hop game. And if you want to talk about Bushwick for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So, man, salute to the king. You know what I mean? Rest in peace. You know, we'll see you again one day. Um, the funny thing about it is, is um, you know, I, I learned a valuable lesson when I met Bushwick Bill, and that's that you never judge a book by its cover. Um, so we met we met Bushwick Bill, man. I have a huge family on both sides, right? Um, but particularly on my father's side. So every holiday, I would say, we would usually get together, especially around, you know, uh, the Christmas holiday, right? So we had this one particular year, we were at some holiday inn somewhere on the south side. I forget what community it was. But long story short, you know, my my cousin, Nikki, she happens to just venture out to the hallway. She runs across Bushwick Bill, who was staying at the same hotel. And she's like, hey, you know, what are you doing? He's like, man, nothing, just probably about to just go back up to my room. She was like, why don't you come down and eat with us? You know, and he was just like, no, 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 I don't want to impose this. Thing. And she was like, no, like, we're, that's how we do. You know, we're, we're very hospitable as the family, the Butler family, you know, and, you know, the Brooks family. So um, he actually came down. And so the reality of it was, is like, you know, I always was that cat, you know, with coach, you know, in hip hop. There was a big, at least when I was coming up, you didn't want to be an ex rider, right? You know what I'm saying? I won't say the word, but <laughs> I got you. you. Know, so, I got you. <laughs> so, you know, I, I played, you know, I kind of played the back, and, you know, we're eating at this huge table, and Bushwick is just telling us all these crazy hip hop stories, but, you know, very interesting stories. And one of the things that I was immediately impressed by is that I was just like, he had the charisma of some of the greatest speakers that I've ever known. And, and, and he was also a very conscious dude. And, you know, in me listening to the Ghetto Boys music, I never got that out of him. Right, you know what I'm right, saying? right. And, and again, that's part of the lesson. Never judge a book by its cover. And what I find is that what I found as I matriculated more through the industry, as I would meet more of my musical heroes, is that, man, these people are so complex. Um, just like as we all are as human beings. Though, exactly. Right? Jay, like, at exactly. the end of the day, we're all, we're multifaceted. You know, you might meet me in one context, and you might see one aspect of me, or you might meet MJ in one context, and you might see one aspect. Oh, I'm an idiot, no matter what, no matter what. I'm, <laughs> I'm an idiot every day of the week. <laughs> but, but by but by no means, you know, does that one aspect, that one facet, I got you, gym, or who you are, represent you in totality. And so I was able to see that in corresponding with Bush Big Will and. You know, so I learned a lot from him just in him telling him story his his stories and you know and, and sharing his consciousness and his spirituality, um, and just his humble spirit, you know. Um, I've heard a lot recently, you know, and Willie B's been talking about different situations and all of that. And all I know is I can't you know, his story is his story, his reality is his reality right. in terms of his interactions with him. But what I can tell you is from my interactions you know, Bushwick Bill was a solid human being of the highest order, um, honorable, a, a, a great intellectual, and um, a very conscious individual as well, too. So, um, you know, salutes to him. And then, and, and then what I have to say, too, is I have to speak with, you know, how he got me really going in the industry. Because back in those days, I was just basically like kind of freestyle, you know in different scenarios what year are we talking about roughly like late 90s or 
Yeah, I mean, this had, yeah, this was definitely late 90s. Like, um, I want to say this might have been like circa like maybe 94, maybe 95, something like that. Yeah, like this was way back. So um, I wasn't really serious. I was more busy, you know, partying, you know what I mean? Right. To be honest with you. And going to school, right? You know, I was because I was in school. But, um, you know, he at, at any event that we had, and this was one of the traditional events we would have, my my family, you got to get up. You got to entertain. So <laughs> the, the kids will always get up and entertain the elders, and the elders would jump in and they would do their songs and temptation songs and all kinds of you know stuff that they grew up with. But we, the, the burden of it, really fell more, I think, on our shoulders. It didn't matter what you did; you had to get up and do something. So that might mean rap, sing, dance. You know what I mean? Recite a poem, play a guitar, whatever you were expected whenever we got together to do something. So um, for me, that always meant, and, and, and several of my cousins, that meant that we would always get up and we would rhyme. So like like any other scenario, we get up, we go to the mic, we'll switch the air course. You know, we start rhyming, and li- unbeknownst to me, Bushwick was like, even though I was playing the back, you know, and all my other cousins were asking questions, when he heard me rhyme, he was like, yo, who is that? Right. And he was talking to my uncle, my uncle Gil, who, um, you know, he was one of the, um, he was one of the leader in the leadership role at CHA, but um, he was also one of the uh, creators of the Midnight Basketball League, which went on to, like, help a lot of kids, took, took a lot of young young brothers off of the street that were, you know, selling, you know, in those days they were selling crack, they were involved in the gang heavy. Um, by that one program, they were able to pull them off of the streets get them involved in the different job training and they were actually able to make a correlation between that midnight basketball league and a decrease in crime so you know they were even going to do a movement on his life it took him many places um he met president i want to say bill clinton might have been a president at the time so he met the president he met all kinds of you know um you know i guess important people so to speak right right so he's talking to my uncle and he's like yo does he have a demo tape and my uncle's like, I don't know. He's always doing that rap stuff. You know what I mean? My uncle, yeah, my uncle didn't know anything about, you know, you know, hip-hop really at that time. Right. Because uh, that was still kind of early. It wasn't what it is now, right? Right, right. Um, and so he was just like, yo, you need to get this kid in the studio. He was like, he literally, quote, end quote, he was like, he has the skills to make meals. And so while my uncle didn't know much about hip-hop, and, and the long-term potential of what hip-hop will become, what he, he pulled me to the side, he was like, look, and he said just that. He's like, I don't know anything about the music game. He's like, but I'm a businessman. He was like, if this man is telling me that you have the skills to make mills, you know, I want to invest in you. I want to help you. And so he was like, find out how much it's going to take for you to make a demo tape. And he was like, me and your honor are going to support you. So, I mean, that's just, and that was just love, man. I can't even thank them enough. So, so shout out to my uncle Gil and my aunt Kathy for supporting in that way. You know what I mean? Not just supporting me emotionally and verbally, you know, um, but, and, and, and all of that's important, but man, willing to, willing to write a check. So right around that time, I met a brother by the name of Mike Hood, through my buddies, Robin Gennaro, that I actually grew up with. And they used to always tell me, man, you need to get with Hood, you need to get with Hood, but even though, like, I was kind of early with it, I had done a little bit of rhyming. I think I had actually done, like, some rhyming with a group. But I had gotten a little jaded with it because, man, you know how groups go, man. Not everybody got the same work ethic. And my work ethic was extremely high. Right, right. 
And, you know, one of my buddies that was in the group, his work ethic was more like, he kind of wanted to live life more. more. He wanted to do more smoking. Actually, Ramen, no matter how talented he really was, right? So at any rate, um, I got jaded and dealt with a couple different situations early on. And so it took me some time to actually be like, you know what, I'll, I'm going to call this guy. But somehow, you know, my buddies kept on me and me and Mike Hood got together and we just clicked. We became super cool. And he was like, yo, dude, you nice. I got to get you with my buddy Dre. And I didn't know who Dre was. I didn't know his history or anything like that. So he drives me out all the way out to Kankakee, bro. I had never been to Kankakee in my life. I'm like, where are we going? Man? I don't even know where it's it like, is. I know it's south. That's it. <laughs> it's south, bro. And I mean, it's a good bit south from the city proper. So um, we drive all the way out there and we get to the house. But he had told me a little bit about Dre on the way there. He was like, yo, dude is a dope producer, eel on the scratches. This is Twister's DJ. You know, so. Oh, wow. Um, there you go. I, I go and I go to spit for Dre. And. <laughs> You know, DJ Icy Dre, shout out to him. Uh, I go to spit for Dre, and, um, you know, I'm giving it my all, right? And, dude, I'm looking at his expression. He stone-faced Jackson through the whole time. <laughs> so, you know, I finished spit, and he don't really say none. He said, all right, Mike. He said, I think he said, like, at the end, he was like, okay, Mike, I'm going to call you. I was like, man, this dude must think I'm whack. Wow. <laughs> you know, so I left. So I left, so we leave the house. Was that a gut like, punch for you? <laughs> man, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of a gut punch. I was like, man, dude, I, Mike, I was like, man, I don't think, I don't know, Mike. I was like, man, I don't think he was feeling me. And and Mike was just laughing and smiling. He was like, oh, no, no. He was like, I can tell, man. I can tell, man. You go, y'all going to work. Watch, y'all going to work. And sure enough, right after that, we got busy. So we went straight to Creator's Way. I'm, I'm giving some history now because this yeah. is like, I was fortunate enough, like, in my early experiences, you know, these are, like, my first songs that I'm really recording as a solo artist. I recorded in Creator's Way with Twister, I think, Do or Die, like, a lot of Chicago greats recorded out there. And I went straight to real. You know what I'm saying? Wow. So I tell all of that because, like, if it weren't for Bushwick Bill. That's the genesis you know almost, I mean? right? I mean, in a sense. Yeah. Because, I mean, I had the budget. You know, my, my aunt and my uncle were like, whatever it costs. I went to Dre. Dre was like, okay, this is how much it's going to cost. We're going to do this the right way professionally. And he knew how to do it because I think he had already done an album that had gotten a nice write-up in the source with Twister at that time. So he knew exactly what needed to happen. He had traveled the world with Twister. He knew how to get the right recording and who we needed to work with. So we went to Creator's Way. You know, he gave me the beats. We went in, we recorded. And, I mean, it sounded amazing. And that got me my first foothold because... Mike Love and the Diz, one of the songs off of that, I Played You, I Want to Say Never. They played it on WGC. I was blessed, bro, like, because things just kind of aligned for me in the sense that, you know, I would make, I would create music, and then all of a sudden, you know, we give it to somebody on a high level, and the next thing you know, like, they're playing it on the radio. This is back when they had Slam It or Jam It. So, but I credit Bushwick Bill so much because for me, I didn't necessarily believe that, you know, I had what it took to, you know, really do this for real, for real. It was just something that I enjoyed to do, right? 
that man saying that I had the skills to make meals was all I needed to hear. And it made I it official. Like, it almost right. made it look like, okay, man. I'm doing something here that if I take my talents yeah. and my skills and sharpen them, I could actually make something out of this. That beyond. was it, man. I, yeah. That's all I needed, man. You know, I mean, it was like it was like a king, you know, you know, giving you your knighthood. I was like, all right. He's, I mean, this is Bushwick <laughs> Bill. My playing tricks on me like that was one of my favorite. That's one of my favorite songs ever. It really was important for me to have my guy DJ Real One on here with me. He's the one who got me started, helped me with the equipment, get get everything rolling and hooked up to even start doing this whole podcast thing. So I had to have my man on here, talk about his album and music he was putting out. And as I said before, the song you hear at the beginning, the song you hear at the end, that is his music. He produced it, he made it, and he lent them to me to use on this podcast, and I was just more than blessed to have him uh, do that for me. That was a real real big honor, and I was really privileged to have some good music to lead the show in and out with. So here's a snippet of me and him talking about his album, Lost Gems, and how he came up with the cover art and how I've never been out of the country and stuff like that. So go ahead and check it out here on episode 30 of the Infinite Banter podcast. And if you want to hear the whole interview with DJ Real One, that's episode 7. But here's a little snippet of me and him talking. My man here, he's yeah. done things I've never been able to do. He's like a world traveler. You were in yeah. Egypt. Yes, sir. You saw the pyramids and the, the Sphinx the and everything. Pyra- <laughs> Pyramid building. <laughs> and your cover of your album, man, is is you with the hat, and you're walking around. I'm, in I'm this, out in there, the, man. I'm out there, man. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's like you used it. You didn't take that picture knowing you were going to use it for this album, did you? Or nah, did it just kind of work out that way? You know, I, I, it was just like Lost Gems. I said, oh, man, you know, where did Indiana Jones go right. to find the Lost Gems? He went to the Temple of Boom. <laughs> or they might call it the Temple of Doom. But anyways, right, right, right. But anyways, uh, so the cover is actually in Petra, Jordan. If anyone out there knows where that's at, um, that's where they filmed uh, Indiana Jones. And um, and that's then I realized that. And I said, hey, you know what? I got this dope picture. Let me just throw it on here. And this is not Photoshop, people. I'm, I'm out there. And uh, on the inside, you might see me um, looking at some hieroglyphs. You never know. You know, I got some surprises. Shout on out to Dell. Oh, no, 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 not those hieroglyphics. Wait a minute. My no, I'm, bad. Not, I'm not looking at them. <laughs> but yeah, man, you know, I mean, I went to Egypt and Jordan and I just thought, this is dope, man. Like, I need to share this, you know, with the people and let them see. Yeah, that cover, when I first saw it, I'm like, man, this is, you guys will see it. If you if you go to Bandcamp and you, you get ready to get this record, this album, this CD, the MP3, all that, you'll see the cover. I mean, it's, that's the thing with music. It's It's like a lost thing. We don't get cover art as much as we used to like me and you we buy records not just because we want to play them and mix them or something but it's like it's just the idea of holding it in your hand and just reading the liner notes and looking at the pictures so when i the first thing i was like man that picture is it makes me want the album even more instead of just having like your name on it or something it's funny because one of the reasons i put this out was because it's almost for myself it's for you it's for me at least a handful. Like I said, 10 people are going to get this that, that are on the album. It's for them, you know, because I just, even, even if, you know, I'm not doing this for the money. I just do it because I love the music. I, and I made this, put my own money into this just so that I can have a copy of a CD. I could play in my car. I could put it on my shelf. I could frame it. You know, that's, that's just what me and you like. We like to have physical copies. So shout out to all my people out there that still buy, you know, physical CDs, physical cassettes, physical records. You know, that's dope. You know, And Record Store Day was yesterday. So exactly, yeah. a lot of people who don't buy records one day a year, they, uh, yeah, they got yeah, their records. Exactly. We know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> Calling yeah. them out. <laughs> I mean, you know how we do, man. But uh, we, we, we also showing love to everybody. Um, man, dude, I just love to have a CD with credits in there, you know. That's cool. I'm looking at it now. I mean, just the idea that, you know, 
It's got a picture of you walking. You know, you're looking like you're straight out, you know, just in the desert dunes. <laughs> I mean, I was out there, man, 120 degrees. Did, is it as hot as it looks? Because it looks, you got, you're holding a bottle of water, so it well, must have been hot. <laughs> Notice that. <laughs> it's not a beer, it's water. So you I definitely you needed some, some hydration. It's funny because, man, dude, like, if you, notice, if you also notice, I'm wearing long sleeves and pants and a hat covering my neck. Because when you're out there, I mean, you have to wear long sleeves or else your Man. skin is going to burn up. I would burn up. Like, I mean, it's just ridiculous. And being not- as white as I am, it, w- <laughs> it would not be good for me. Say that. <laughs> this is Infinite Banner Radio, the dopest podcast for that ass. And I'm Cool Kim, a.k.a. NYOLA Ideal, with that demo music. Yeah. It was really an honor to get a chance to talk to Tommy McLaughlin. He wrote and directed Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, one of my favorite Jason movies in the series and definitely one of my favorite horror movies of all time. And we got a chance to talk uh, about the movie and how he got involved with it. So here's a clip of me talking with him about how he had the comedy angle in there and how he first got involved with the project. So go ahead and check it out. If you're a horror fan, you should really appreciate this. And that episode is number 22 if you want to go back and listen to the whole thing. It's really a blast talking to him about the Jason series. Such a big fan of Jason Voorhees. Sarah? It is on the Infinite Banter podcast, a clip from Tommy McLaughlin on the Infinite Banter episode number 30, best of edition. I love how you balanced comedy and horror at the same time. It's it's not easy to do that. How difficult was that for you? Well, the most difficult thing was to you know convince them that I could do this because at that point, no one had sort of made a satire of the horror movies at the same time of making one. Um, you know, there'd been, you know, examples and certain things that were more comedy than horror, uh, but had horror elements to it. But I really wanted to still make, you know, a monster movie, you know, making Jason into an unstoppable you know force with the lightning bolt and things and yet have the characters have a kind of a sense of humor and irreverence about the whole thing you know like you know i've seen enough horror movies to know anybody wearing a mask is never friendly i mean you know things like that that sort of you know were in jokes to a horror audience and as long as i didn't make fun of jason which i had no intention of you know the producers were fine with it and i was given a lot of creative freedom on that uh which is what the other thing that was so great is they just trusted that you know i knew what i was doing and they wanted you know they wanted something unique with the series uh well they always do you know the one has to be somehow a little more special than the last one so i was given as as i said a lot of a lot of freedom to be able to just try some stuff and also just trying to come up with kills that could be funny on one hand you know like smashing that guy that you know gets his arm torn off we just talked about you know into a into a tree that had a happy face on it oh, right. you know <laughs> so just trying to you know put the jokes in there or the or the fact that she kills the uh, elizabeth and the puddle uh and and you see the american express card that slowly. scene is great that, that i and, just watched uh, it the other day yeah. and i couldn't stop laughing with that when she tries to pay jason like like money's gonna you know stop everything <laughs> exactly yeah i mean but it, you know in a in, in a normal being held up you know, or you think some, what, what somebody wants is your money, you know, because it's the old money of your life, you know, but in Jason's case, it's just your life, you know, forget about the money. <laughs> and then the American Express card floating was obviously, you know, to be able to get at that time was such a popular commercial, don't leave home without it. And there would always be somebody in the theater that would yell that out, you know, which got <laughs> another laugh, which is what I was hoping would happen. One of my favorite comedic moments, too, is very, very beginning. When Tommy's trying to light the match and it starts raining and he's just like, yeah. he's still trying, you know, instead of trying to run away or find a weapon or something, he's, he's giving it his all to get that thing lit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny because recently I saw a screening of it and it's amazing how it still works um, as, a, as a film. I think definitely, the humor definitely. helps a lot. Um, but 
the uh, the biggest laugh in the whole movie was something that was just a kind of a quick throwaway thing where one of the little girls is asleep in the bed and there's a you know copy of no exit the book on her you know that she had fallen asleep to and i was just looking for something for her you know to, you know to have in her hands when she was asleep and i just kind of grabbed that off the shelf that was there with the props and that gets the biggest laugh you know which surprises me you know, still to this day but you know just anybody that knows the book and you know and a child reading it and then of course obviously you know <laughs> the situation oh for in, sure <laughs> it all kind of you know put together a, a, a very very comic moment how well familiar were you with the franchise when you first got hired to do part six not very at all i had seen the first one which i liked very much you know the original friday the 13th which wasn't even jason and then to be honest i had not seen all the other ones and part of that was I don't want to say arrogance on my part, but if you were a filmmaker in, in Los Angeles and you're trying to make you know, a horror movie, I was interested in making much more gothic horror movies because right. the slasher thing was just took off. And you, know, you could get a deal pretty much anywhere in town if you had a, a script that had somebody with their face covered and you know, knives or some weapon of, of some sort and you know, a forest or, or some isolated area, desert something. And girls, you know, to kill. And I just kind of didn't want to do that. I really, you know, I kind of grew up on the, the Hammer horror movies from England and the Edgar Allan Poe movies that Roger Corman did. And right. just, you know, the more kind of classic, uh, The Innocents, uh, the Deborah Carr movie, you know, and and The Haunting. You know, I, I very much loved that part of the genre. So when the offer came, it was like, God, I was all set to do a comedy Um this thing called date with an angel which was the movie i did after friday right um and so my mind was very much in that in that mode but you know i i said well if i can put humor into it and you know and i love horror so let me see if i can kind of make a gothic horror movie within the you know the franchise of a friday the 13th so i sat there at paramount in the screening room and watched all of them back to back you know so i got a sense of everything that has come before and sort of you know looked at the ones that i thought worked um you know i thought that in part four was very good you know the the final chapter um i thought that was well directed and things and then there was things and other ones that i thought okay well that's an interesting kill can i do something different from that so it was you know basically like you know <laughs> studying for an exam and then you got to see if you pass <laughs> So I, you know, I kind of went into it that way. But since that time, I've become, you know, very much a, you know, Friday fan, and and you know, I just am so enamored by the the, the fandom with the series and how it keeps growing every year. And now not having, you know, Friday for the, the last ten years, I mean, there really is this savage desire to find if you're not going to make them we're going to make them ourselves and so there's all these fan films that are coming up you know which i think is so cool that you know i don't think that's happened before in any genre a horror genre uh, or any anything where you say fine studio's not going to do it we'll, we'll do it yo it's rap almighty at a different and you're rocking with effing and dancing podcast right now got a chance to talk to dirt platoon on the infinite banter podcast going back to episode 24 and here's a clip of them talking about a song that I really like called Weep. It's really funny. It kind of speaks for itself. So definitely check it out. And uh, them going overseas as well. And definitely check out their new album, Get Your Hands Dirty, DirtPlatoon.com. Available on all digital platforms. And shout out to them because a snippet of this interview I did with them ended up on the album. So big up to Raph Almighty and Snook the Crook. Here's a clip from my interview with them talking about that song Weep. Probably my favorite Dirt Platoon song here on the Infinite Banter Podcast, episode 30, Best of Edition. I think my favorite song is Weep. And um, 
there's that verse okay. in there where where uh, I, th- I think Snook says there's something like brains looking like hummus, man. I think um, I don't think I can eat hummus anymore. Talk about that record, man. That joint is <laughs> <laughs> you guys tra- traumatic for me to, to look at hummus the same way. Talk about that record, man, and bareface robbery as as well. Thank you, bro. Thank you. You know what? You actually pick songs that's kind of like our favorites. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and sometimes brothers will pick like the famous or the ones that you know they hear the most. But they hear the most, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Weep is one of those songs that we perform the most. Yeah, we perform that a lot. We perform that damn anywhere we go to. That's the show rocker right there. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you like that. One. I remember when I first got that record when you guys were promoting it a few years ago, and uh, I was like, I had to pick up the needle, put it down again. I'm like, this right here, this is this right here is an anthem. I, I love this record, man. Thank you, thank you. And and you know what? It's actually one of those records, like you said, how Chicago and Baltimore is like similar. It was just a relevant record. Things was going on in our city, and we we wanted to describe it, but put it through like uh, our eyes and do like a vivid. So, you know, I, I know any inner city would dig that record. You know what I'm saying? If you're in an inner city city, you would definitely dig that record. And, and you know what? It's a little known fact. Week was the last song we put on that album. That, that, that almost didn't even make Bad Face Rock. I forgot that. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, man. man we recorded that late. We, we actually had it. We had it recorded to another beat. beat yeah, we, had some, we, we had some. Yeah, we had some issues with the producer. So we went and redid it, and we like, damn, when we got it back, we like, man, shit, let's put it on the album. Fuck that. See, there you go. That's history right there, because that song could have got lost, and next thing you know, you guys never release it, and I'm not even talking about it right now, and I'm eating hummus like I used to without any kind of, you know, <laughs> <laughs> reservations. <laughs> Talk about... You know, that's the lyrical content. I'm, I'm glad you paid attention to the lyrical content of it, too, though. You know what I mean? Like, for you to hear that line, you definitely listen to it. Oh, my God. I mean, you guys are relentless with the lyrics. Let's talk about that. I mean, Bareface, Robbery, Warface, you know, all the records you guys put out. You guys just come with that heat. You guys aren't holding back. It's just right in your face. Talk about how you guys uh, develop that style and, and where that comes from. I mean, that's the kind of music we grew up listening to. You know, the artists that we came up listening to, everybody was different. Everybody was coming with their own style. And it was relentless. And it was about um, expressing where you came from and kind of letting the listener live your life through your eyes. You understand what I'm saying? Without them being there. And I think that's how we, we just adapted that style. We keep it official. And that's the way we write. And, and and the boldness of the MCs, like like our favorite MCs is like Red Man. I mean, early Red Man from what the album, stuff like that, Busta Rhymes, Onyx, you know, like even DMX, you know what I mean? So we always gravitated towards MOP, of course, you know what I mean? Like we always gravitated towards that unadulterated, like that pull that raw hip hop, like. Absolutely. We, 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 that's that raw raw shit because we just full of energy. So let's say we gravitate towards the more energetic. And just the more, just telling them how it is, you know? Yeah, that's what it's all about. Just that, that raw energy right there. Yeah. yeah, let it all out, man. Yeah, let, let all that out, man. Put it all in it. Well, that, and that's what that's what hip-hop, nothing to say. But that's what hip-hop is about. Hip-hop is about releasing your energy. You know what I'm saying? Like, instead of you going out there fighting, instead of you going out there just committing crimes, once you put something on the paper, step on stage and release your energy. You understand what I'm saying? So that's what hip-hop was all about. So we just keep it traditional. And that music therapeutic, man, for real, man. Instead of walking around, you know, carrying them bricks, man, we put it on the paper, let everybody hear about it. You know what I mean? Because somebody's going to be going through the same thing we're going through. You know what I mean? And I can't even imagine what the live show was like. Uh, you guys have been overseas, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've been over a few times. How do, you, how do you guys like it over there? How's the vibe in, like, Europe and places like that that you guys been? 
Yeah, man. They, they, you know, they're probably about like five to ten years behind hip hop wise, which is good. So, man, they always, they always will receptive to the music, man. They support. They actually come out to shows and they buy merchandise, CDs. They actually support the culture monetarily too, man. But they really, really love that boom bat like over there. So, and you know, most of the time, ninety percent of the people in there don't speak English. But man, it's just the music just still hits them. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, that's that's the best part of experiencing something overseas, man. You you go in and you and you, you see how how much hip hop connect everybody. Yeah, our mutual connection be the music for real. Absolutely, and where we come from, you know, some of those people we probably wouldn't meet on a personal basis. So being able to have the the internet and be able to reach out and, like you said, get on those planes and touch other grounds and look at the sky from different sceneries and that shit is just amazing. You know what I'm saying? So, um, and then like Cook said, monetarily, like damn near half our money probably come from overseas. So I mean, from that overseas market, it helps support our family and helps support the cause. Yeah, Americans have a. Uh disposable intellect when it comes to supporting it seems like sometimes uh, they'll down with somebody for a minute and then move on to the next thing and that that's not how it should be you should always support your favorite artists and you know help them keep putting that new music out absolutely but we but we understand that content is content is king so as long as we just keep putting out content that the fans will support it you know what i mean so we we just keep putting it out and our core fans they always support it so they never let us down so thank god for that too hey yo check it out one two one two this is nomadic poet live from the thoroughbore northwest london representing 1520 you know what it is we're cooling out with my man dj soundwave on the infinite band to show what up what up dramatic excel in the building dj a few episodes back, episode 26, I had a chance to talk to Dramatic XL, a nomadic poet straight out of London, talking about their new album, 1520 Mosquito Fly and Starships. First time I got a chance to talk to somebody overseas and doing two interviews at the same time. There was a lot going into it, but it turned out great, and I love talking to them dudes, and their album is a banger. And here's them talking about the production on that album and what went into it, and I hope all you guys go out there and check out their record. Really, really good stuff. So here is Nomadic Poet and Dramatic Excel. If you want to go back and listen to that episode, it was episode 26 here on the celebration of 30 episodes of Infinite Banter. And the production on this album is crazy. And, and uh, the scratching and the, and the turntablism. Talk about how you guys really made that a focal point. It seems like that really was a focus, making sure there were cuts on this album, which a lot of times you don't hear anymore in a lot of new hip-hop music. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, listen, man, no matter what say the same thing. Like, hip-hop to West is like beats, cuts, and rhymes. You know what I'm saying? You, you got to have those elements, man. Like, to me, my favorite records are Gangstar. You know what I'm saying? Like, get my, my favorite hip-hop records are Gangstar. No doubt. Uh, Ultra Magnetic, you know what I'm saying? Extra P records, Pete Rock, and so, you know, CL Smooth records. They all had cuts on them, you know what I mean? Like, I even feel lazy when, you know, like, no matter, like, nah, we ain't, you know, like, there's a couple songs on the album that don't really have, like, uh, cuts on them, and I'm like, I'm like feeling like, ah, oh, damn, I got nothing to do, you know what I'm saying? But, <laughs> like you didn't do your jobs? <laughs> I love it, you know what I'm saying? Like, like it's just like, it just goes hand in hand to me, like, you know, the energy, you know what I'm saying, that that creates, you know, the, the cuts, you know, intro cuts and uh, chorus cuts, you know, that that's such a, so, so, such, so intertwined with the fabric of what a record is supposed to be for me and Nomadic, you know what I mean? So that we have to have that. And uh, and we we collaborate, we, we collabed on a lot of uh, the records on there, like, you know, he'll skill like semi stuff, like, yo, do you think you can mess with this? And, you know, I'll mess with it and we'll t- we'll tweak it. We'll go back and forth and uh, just like really just add ideas together. You know what I mean? Like my approach is like really different to a lot of guys that I know. Like I know a lot of times like everybody now has like, you know, the machines and 
you know, the, the computer can chop the samples for you and put it on the pads and all that stuff. But like my style is like really, uh, I, I call it uh, the nonlinear style, you, you know, which is like, uh, you know, you listen to a record and you listen to a, a record in a linear fashion, right? You know, start to finish, right? What I learned was like over time, especially with a guy like Premier, when I started learning like some of the samples, listen to some of the samples that he would use like for like certain records, MOP records and stuff like that. I, I listen to his, the originals and I'm listening to, I'm like, this guy's crazy because <laughs> he's not listening. Yeah, he's nuts because he don't really listen to the records in a linear fashion. I'm like, like the tempo doesn't matter. You have to disregard tempo, disregard the position that the thing is on the record. I'm like, wow, I'm like, this is different. So I started like, you know what? I got to start listening different. You know what I mean? You got to really listen different. So like, even when he hears even when Nomadic send me something, he might be ha he might have a concept of it, but like now he knows like my my approach is like really different. I'm like I'm just gonna you know deconstruct the whole damn thing and just go at it. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, beats, rhymes, and cuts, man. That's how we do, it, man. You no doubt. I mean? And you just brought up Premiere and Gangstar. You guys hear that new Gangstar record? Premiere is still like Ooh, the greatest. Yeah. You know what I mean? You already know. <laughs> Yeah, man. man it's Nomadic's sick. Cool, it's you no know, matter. You can speak on Guru probably too, but yeah, it's just amazing to hear that dude's voice one more time. You know what I mean? Definitely. I'm 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 a big Gangstar fan too, man. And um, hearing it, hearing his voice again on the record is just it's just crazy, man. It's like he's he's speaking from the heavens or something, man. No doubt, no doubt. We'll get back into the album here. That joint, the anthem. Uh, talk about that one. Uh, that one, as soon as I heard it, I'm like, okay, I got to find these dudes. I got to speak to these cats and talk about this album. The anthem is exactly what it is. It's a straight-up anthem. Talk about that record, what it means to you guys. So the anthem was basically um, like one of the last joints we've done on the project because um, yeah. the project has a certain feel to it in terms of production. We deliberately, you know, picked a certain mood and feel as, as tracks went on and on. And um, one day I was saying to Dre, like, yo, man, I just want to do something that's going to set it off. And he was like, yo, I got something, I got something for you. I think this is gonna work. And he sent it over to me. And like 30 seconds later, I was like, we have this thing where he'll do a beat or an idea or vice versa. And then I'll call him and I'll, and I'll laugh. And he knows that that means like, yo, I'm feeling shit. I'm on this. Two days, two days later, I have the rhymes written. We can go in, I'll, I'll, I'll lay the track, send it to him and it's a rap, man. It was like real, real easy. It was like clockwork. Once we had the idea, we just yeah. went back and forth with it until we perfected what, what what we wanted to do. But yeah, the anthem was one of the last joints and we wanted it to kind of just overall represent what 1520 is about. And yeah. actually, if you listen to it carefully, the first verse, I, I mentioned the number one for the first eight bars. The second part of the, uh, the 16 bars, I mentioned the number five and that's the 15. Then it goes into the hook. The second verse, I start with the number two, I break down the number two for, for eight bars and then the zero for the rest of the, the eight bar section. So it's like the whole 15, 20. I was just basically talking about, I was rapping from the perspective of hip hop and also my perspective of what 15, 20 means to me as someone who, you know, is a student of hip hop music and hip hop culture. You're tuned in to the Infinite Banter Podcast. I'm Tony T, and you can find me AntonioTV.com. Tony 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 has been on the show a couple times now, very recently on episode 28. This one is a snippet from episode 4. It was right around St. Patrick's Day, and, you know, I had went off at the beginning of the episode talking about St. Patrick's Day and started talking to him about it, and 
here's just a snippet of me and him just talking nonsense about uh, St. Patrick's Day. And uh, so, yeah, Tonio, TonioTV.com. Check it out. Here's uh, Tonio, a little snippet for the celebration of episode 30 on the Infinite Banter podcast. And now that the whole St. Patrick's Day uh, celebratory stuff has been completed, um, you can find something else to do on a Saturday now. Well, you know, I'm, I'm sure that St. Saint, Saint Patrick is... Uh, as uh, righteous as he was, he's real happy about everyone celebrating his, his life by uh, with drunkenness. <laughs> That's what it's all about, right? I mean, it's the same thing with, like, I'm sure uh, with Christmas, I'm sure Jesus appreciates you guys spending all this money on stupid crap and then yeah, going and then think, putting uh, yourself in debt. I don't think St. Patrick became a saint because he was an alcoholic. So I, I don't know where it became about that, the way you celebrate a saint is to... With drunkenness. I got. I, I I'm drinking green beer. Bleh. Oh my god! Kiss me. I'm Irish. No, because you have green vomit all over your face. I don't want to kiss you, let alone be in your circumference. Just, green just vomit. step off, dude. When I used to work downtown and and have to, you know, go to work on these holidays like this. I mean, it's like the trail of tears. It's like, there's like the green leprechaun hat and then like the, whatever you call that thing you wear around your neck, the, the green pearls and then the, the clovers. And then, then there's a person laying there in green vomit and green shirts, uh, like a Larry Bird jersey and vomit. Just like laying there and you got to step over. I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to cool go to work. It's cool to celebrate Irish culture, but speaking of stains, man, it comes with all this vomit and puke and then you, then you got St. Patrick saying, "Like, hey, you guys want to like knock it off, man? I, I wasn't, I wasn't an alcoholic. I don't understand what, what, like he's probably just like confused. You know, you just had a chat with them. They, here's how you, here's how you prove that people like drinking too much. A lot of baseball teams or sports teams will do something called halfway to St. Patrick's Day, and they'll have like a, a a theme night. I'm not making this up. Like the Cubs and Sox do this, where people will come to the game and like." August or whatever six months away from this month is and they'll be drinking and acting a fool and it's like well they do that every day you don't need to put a title on it but it's like oh you're halfway there to getting you can get drunk right now you don't have to wait till the 17th of March you can be a complete idiot and drink green beer if you want to in December you don't have to wait I like uh I like Green River uh, Sodi Pop (laughs) or Green River in Chicago which I, I don't know if it's still green or or what it looks it looks like you know some sort of like jello I mass. I thought it was already green just because it's Chicago water. Well, man. it's moldy and nasty, but it's it's like, like what a, do they got to add to it? Isn't it <laughs> uh, jello? They just put the green jello powder in there, and then it just it looks like uh, Secret of the Ooze Ninja Turtles or in Ghostbusters when they're rubbing the the what's that on the Statue of Liberty? They're putting all the what is that stuff? Was it slime? I, I, I was drawing a blank. Slime. They're putting slime all over it, so you make you feel good. So there, it makes you feel good about the city. The river is a color that you actually recognize. Well, it's green. Maybe, well, speaking of toilet humor, maybe I, I could get sponsored by the Green Gobbler toilet cleanser stuff they <laughs> sell at the Home Depot. Right. Well, you know, I don't mind the Green River as long, you know, it's better than Dave Matthews Band dumping his uh, tour bus uh, toilet into the water like they did some years back, so... I don't know if you remember that, but that happened. I guess they uh, did that one year. They were driving across, and they decided to dump their... Uh, it's already bad enough that their music is essentially the, the equivalent of a toilet, but they were dr- dumping their, <laughs> their tour bus, whatever you call that, unit of toilet stuff, <laughs> and putting it in the Chicago River because, hey, who cares? Look at the river. It's already nasty. So 
speaking of rappers. Welcome to what Chicago. About, what about speaking of rappers? What about House of Pain? That was cool how they were pushing the whole Irish. Well, I said that at the beginning of the podcast. I said, you know, go play your House of Pain album and uh, drink some green beer and celebrate and uh, whatever else or, you guys or do. if you're a little kid, it's supposed to be the Green River Sodi Pop. Right. <laughs> Eat some Lucky Charms. I'm all out of, like, the the Irish stuff. Go watch Leprechaun the movie, you know, one of those. Like Leprechaun in the Hood oh. with iced tea. You ever seen that one? It's terrible. Oh, speaking of vomit, man, why would you watch those movies? Man? Because it's St. Patrick's Day. So you put on your Larry Bird jersey, you you drink green beer, uh, you put on a Kiss Me Irish pin, you play House of Pain, and then you watch Leprechaun Four or however many of those movies they made. If that's not a if that's not a holiday, I don't know what is. Well, what was what was the last one they made Leprechaun in the Hood? <laughs> I don't know if it's the last one, but it should have been. But it has iced tea in it, and uh, yeah, I guess Ice really needed uh, some extra money besides the uh, SUV or SVU or crime unit. New York, I don't, whatever those shows are called, CSI, I don't watch any of that stuff. Law and Order, whatever. He's on one of those shows for like 20 something years. I don't watch any of it. The guy who made Cop Killer has been a cop for 20 years on television, and people are cool with it. There was an episode I did uh, back in number 23 when I interviewed Roxy. I got a lot of good feedback about how I was talking about going to the movies by yourself and how it's so much better than going with people and all the nonsense that goes into tying in, trying to get somebody to go with you and meeting up and all that nonsense. So uh, here's a bit from that, me talking about going to the movies by yourself, why it is preferred than going with other people. So best of Infinite Banter Podcast, here's myself riffing on going to the movies alone. So I said I was going to talk about going to the movies by yourself. And you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, we all got to get together, we got to see this movie. And it's like three or four people and everybody's trying to figure out what day... What day can they go? You know, how we work this in. Oh, I got to work this day. I can't go that day and all that stuff. And I'm going to say it right now because I went to go see Joker by myself. I like seeing movies alone. I never thought I would say that because I thought that was kind of like a not a cool thing to do is go to a movie by yourself like you're some sort of creepo or something. But I don't see any advantage to going with other people. And I'll break it down for you right now. First of all, I go when I damn want to. I went in the middle of the afternoon. There's nobody in the theater. There's like three people in there. That's already a plus. And, you know, most people can't go when I went at like 2 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. So I already, that's it. There you go. That's number one. The second one, people always want to share popcorn. And I don't. I'll be honest with you. Like, I'm one of those people who I don't like people touching my food and other people's hands and same food that I'm eating. Have you ever seen how some people eat popcorn? Like, when they'll take the popcorn, it's like they're licking their hand. They're putting their whole hand in their mouth or they're sticking the popcorn in there. And then they're putting that hand right back into the popcorn thing. It's like, I don't even want popcorn now because the way you eat it. So that's number two. I mean, I get the whole popcorn to myself. I don't have to worry about sharing it with anybody. Bathroom stuff. I don't have to worry about getting up because somebody has to use the bathroom or anything like that. I I knock out what I got to do before I walk in there. I have to worry about somebody else. Like, oh, I need to get something to drink. Well, let's go get something. Or No, no, just sit here and shut up. Like, And I don't have to worry about that because I'm by myself. So I'm telling you, it's a very underrated experience seeing a movie by yourself. And then you also have the thing where everybody's trying to figure out where to sit. Like, are you playing like movie chess? Like, oh, let's sit here. Oh, let's sit there. I want to sit in the front. I want to sit way in the back. I want to do this. I sit in the middle. Man, I just sit where I want to sit. I don't have to worry about all that. So no more movie seat checkers that you have to play with other people. Everybody's trying to figure things out. And no, man, I, I go in there and if I see there's nobody in there, I sit where I want. Now, if I see there's a few people, okay, now I got to figure out where there's no people because I don't want to sit by anybody. That's the goal. So unfortunately, you go with other people. You have to cater to what they want to do. No way. No, no, no. 
seeing movies by yourself is so much better. There's also, you know, when somebody asks you, like, what's going on here? I didn't see, what, what do you think is happening? Like, I don't have to explain anything. I don't have to worry about telling somebody what I just saw. I don't have to talk about it. I just want to sit there and watch it and not be bothered. So I, I really don't get why people have to go with other people. I think from now on, I'm going to start going by myself. I think it's a pretty cool idea. I have seen a few movies alone before, but it's generally because nobody else can go and I couldn't wait. But I'm starting to get to a point. Maybe I'm just getting older. Maybe I'm being a grouch. I don't know. But uh, I, I think it's better to go by yourself. You don't have to worry about sharing food with somebody and making the time fit somebody else's schedule. You could just go when you want. And so, hey, if you ask me to see a movie with you, I might say no. Because I like going by myself at 2 in the afternoon when there's only three other people in there. That's the best time to go. I don't know why anybody would go at a 7 o'clock on a Friday with everybody and kids and teenagers and all that crap and waiting in lines. Why would you do that? Why would you pick that as your experience? Hell no. I'm going to go in the middle of the afternoon by myself with my own popcorn and go and leave as I please. It's the best way to do it. So for now on, I encourage everybody out there, go to those movies by yourself. It's a much better experience. Yo, it's Confucius. And right now I'm tuned in to Infinite Banter, DJ Soundwave, New Jersey to the shock. Let's go. Just like DMC, I also went to another convention and got to talk to you know people uh, live and in person. And I went to the Walker Stalker Con, which is a Walking Dead convention, but it also ties into like CW shows, you know, superhero stuff, things like that. Got a chance to talk to Kirk Acevedo, who you hear at the end of every episode where he's like, time for you to leave, assholes. That's him. He had a bit part in Walking Dead, and that was a line from there. Also talked to Eugene Clark from Land of the Dead. But here I'm going to play a part from Jason Moore. He was in the Punisher Netflix series, if you remember that show really good sad to see that it's not going to be on anymore but he was really fun to talk to and talked a lot about that show and the avengers endgame because it had not come out yet so here it is here's jason moore live from walker stalker con and if you want to hear more of those interviews i did from walker stalker that's on episode eight and here we are talking to jason moore for the infinite banter podcast special edition episode 30. All right, I'm here with Jason Moore at the Walking Dead convention and Jason Moore from the Punisher show. Glad to meet you, man. Thanks oh, for coming on. Glad. What's up, man? It's good to be here. Appreciate it. The jacket, first of all, that jacket is something, dude. Oh, yo, y'all can't see it, but it is something. <laughs> I wish I could see it. No, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Being a big fan of Punisher, it's like you are the moral compass of that show. You're always in the middle trying to keep Frank online and, and Jigsaw and everything. What was that like playing that character? It was, it was, it was dope. So it was like, it's like, of course, I want to be the badass. You know, I want the Curtis to at least show that side of him. Because, you know, he is a former Marine, you know. So, right. well, you're always a Marine. But anyway. <laughs> um, but he was he was the guy that put the bad the, the, the badasses together. So the badasses needed him. The badasses came to Curtis. Right. And that was the beauty. That was, like, right. the, the best part of, like, playing Curtis. was like, right. yeah, the Punisher's the Punisher. But the Punisher still need to come to Curtis for that guidance, that brotherhood. Right. And so it was really important for, for Curtis to be there for them. Even Billy, you know, even though Billy betrayed us, you know, it was still important for Curtis to be there for them. So, yeah, I, I, I dug that approach to uh, the role. It was like Curtis saw the good in both of those guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. Curtis definitely saw the, the good in both of them and, and wanted to bring that out more than anything else. But that's part of him filtering through that PTSD that right. they're all suffering is a big theme of the, the show. And, and, and getting them to be like a real a healed person, uh, uh, a, a better person, um, even though they're suffering. 
Yeah. Did you get a lot of feedback from military people, you know, with the role you're playing? Like, people like, oh, I can see my, myself through your character, you know, with having the one leg and everything. And- yeah, one thing that was special about it is that, you know, um, military people, vets, they show their appreciation for the role. And then that made it that made it work for me. You know, I'm glad I was able to do it justice for them. And we didn't cut any corners. And I took a real approach in terms of creating uh, Curtis Hoyle for myself. And, and one thing I like to mention is that in the group sessions, those are all vets. They're all real vets. So I, I got to, I got, I was really close to the real deal. And so they got to fill me in on things. We got to talk about it. And so there was that direct connection. Right. And a lot of us fans are, of course, disappointed with the Netflix. You know, Punisher's no longer going to be back. Any idea if you could do something with Punisher? Was it a movies or anything? Or Listen, I don't know what they're going to do with it. <laughs> dudes in suits and boardrooms make the decisions. And, right, right. And Punisher is just the latest casualty in corporate wars, man. So I don't know what they're going to do. They don't fill us in until the last minute. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I, for the fans, which I am a fan too of the show, right. and Marvel uh, um, intellectual properties, I want to see it again. Right. Just like everyone else. So hopefully they make a move and they get us all together again to, to bring bring the season three together. All right, Jason, so who is your favorite character of all time, superhero-wise? Oh, man, it's it's the Hulk. It's the Incredible Hulk because, you know, he gets stronger as he gets angrier. And, I mean, I always wanted to do that. So it's like, so you don't do that in real life? No, I, I mean, I wish, <laughs> but I can't. I don't get stronger. In fact, I get stupider and weaker if I get angrier, right? I can relate. I can relate. <laughs> right, right. But, yeah, if I can if I can be the Hulk, that, that'd be, that'd be the, an awesome thing. And, yeah, that's always been... Uh, my favorite ones, even since Lou Ferrigno. I was a little kid watching Lou Ferrigno. Turned like I was like, "Yo, come on!" All right. Yeah, Lou they Ferrigno to, pulled it they, off. Big they time. need to remake it, and that's what I, that's how they need to do it. They need to do it, and they need to they need to show that off because they haven't done it. Right. And all of the Hulks. It's always been CGI. Yeah, it's always been CGI, but they never, they never, they never really explored much of that. Right. And I'm still waiting for that to happen. So Avengers, I want to see if it happens in the Avengers. That would be great. Endgame where he takes on Thanos and he just gets angrier and because, you know, his boys is gone. Some of his boys is gone and then he just, he's able to catch Rex. So Makes yeah. me want to bulk up and then put I, some green makeup on. Yeah, <laughs> man. Like, yeah, it's one of my favorite, dog. It's like, it's because it, the dude grows, gets yeah. stronger. It's like everything as a kid you want to do, right? It should be unstoppable. It should be unstoppable, yeah. And before I go, just tell me what you're working on. What can people see Jason Moore doing next? Yeah, so I got uh, Honor Among Thieves coming out. Uh, which is a film that I'm starring in and I okay. EP on that one and uh, that's in post-production now so that one's going to be coming up and I got some other stuff I can't talk about oh, okay. yet we'll watch stay out for tuned. it stay tuned yeah watch out for it uh, some things should be hitting the trade so okay man right, I really man. appreciate you coming on the podcast nah no problem man thanks for having me appreciate it thank you so much time for you to leave assholes All right, it's time for me to get out of here. I appreciate everybody for checking out the show. So many thank yous because this episode took a lot of effort to put together, but so many people really blessed me with their time and effort to come on the show and make this what it is. And uh, this is 30. I hope to do 30 more and then 30 more after that and just keep going and going and going as the name tells you, infinite, infinite banter. So I'll give them a shout outs here in no particular order. Got to give it up to my man, Cool Kim, Cool Rock Ski, DJ Real One, Tonio T., Mark Carrier, Shaza McKenzie, Zeta Zhang, Roxy, Confucius, SB, Dirt Platoon, DMC, Tommy McLaughlin, Jason Moore, Ramses Ali, Dramatic XL, Nomadic Poet, Dre Cobbs. Just so many people. Thank you so much for coming on the show and giving me your time and everything. It was an honor to have you guys and 
so great to bring some of this back for people who have never heard the show before. This is a good intro, good way to step in and hear what the show is all about. So thanks so much for coming on, all those guests, and thank you so much for listening. Follow the show on Facebook at Infinite Banter, Twitter at Infinite Banter, as well as myself, DJ Soundwave 75, Instagram also, DJ Soundwave 75. On all digital platforms, everywhere you want to hear it, it's there, should be easy to find. Thanks everybody for checking out the show. I'll catch you on the next one coming up here. And as always, I appreciate everybody for reposting and letting other people know about the show. So that's it. I'll talk to you guys with the next episode. This is episode 30, the special edition, best of. And I appreciate everybody for checking it out. So I'll see you on the next one. All right, I'm out.